The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frogs. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dolvin here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we're reviewing the finals of the New Japan Cup USA, previewing summer struggle in Jingu, answering your questions, and covering all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network and keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving us a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. You can check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostantees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUPLEX. Young boy, how you doing, man? I am doing pretty good considering. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on with you, man? Nothing much, man. Just happy to be here once again, hosting the longest-running weekly episodic New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast on the internet today. That's actually... That that is 100% (laughs) a fact. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Um, you know, there, there might be some other podcasts out there that cover new Japan as a side thing, but they're not exclusively dedicated to new Japan the way your boys are. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. hundred episode 143, 143 weeks. We haven't missed an episode yet. I have. Well, you have too. I, I've missed one, but I mean, te- we've had a keeping a strong episode every week, regardless of one of one of us have been missing or not. Jeremy had to take an exotic vacation to Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to steal uh, Rich Krejci's gimmick here. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so, man, um, what's this new chair gimmick you got? Yeah, I got a uh, new office chair uh, for my birthday. I used my birthday money to get this because this whole time, you know, I've been working from home since the end of March, and I've been sitting in these you know, kitchen chairs that we have here, and they're super uncomfortable after, you know, sitting there for eight hours, and my back has been all jacked up, so 
went ahead and got me this uh, fancy uh, little office slash gaming chair here. Now let's be let's be clear here. This isn't a bit. We're not we're not doing another advertisement. I'm like genuinely interested in in your chair here. So I mean, uh, I think that I'm not going back to the office until like maybe January. But they're saying maybe not even then. Like my my company's being pretty uh, conservative on this stuff, and they're like, "Yo, we might not go back till there's even like a uh, vaccine." And by vaccine, they mean a real one, not like the Russian one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. Yeah, so I might need to get myself a chair. Also, I mean, uh, this one right here. I'm, how much set you back? Was it like super expensive? Not really. Is it worth it? Yeah, so far it's been I worth it. it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I got the recommendation from uh, our good buddy Rich Latta here on the network. He oh, got, it's the same. It's the same chair he's got. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, I forget the name of the brand. I'll have to look on the Amazon and uh, send you the link. You know, I've got all my Trump bucks stored up. I never really <laughs> spent them, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll treat myself. I don't know. But anyways, man, we got a a lot to talk about here. I mean, uh, so many shows. I mean, New Japan Cup USA finals, and then um, uh, the recommended match of the week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so much New Japan. So much been happening. It's crazy. Yeah, well, we do have some uh, previews. You know, we've got the big uh, summer struggle in Jingu coming up this weekend. So we'll get to that in a second. How about, like, on weeks where it, there's not a lot going on like this, we just, like, randomly cover, like, Impact and, <laughs> you we, know, uh, I we, think there, there are some pretty big shows this weekend with, like, NXT. We could talk about that shit. We go Dynamite. We go back to all the archives of promotions that feature New Japan people. So we go back and watch like Tanahashi and Okada matches from Impact. Yeah, Impact <laughs> Plus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Kawato. Uh, no, what we should do is cover. Um, oh fuck, I, I I forgot what I was gonna say. It was gonna be funny, but I I lost it. It slipped out of my mind, so I don't even know. You're saying we should cover the uh, the Thunderdome? Is that what you're gonna say? No, but yeah, we should definitely do that. Oh, <laughs> I know what it is. We should like. Uh, do some dark coverage. <laughs> oh, AW Dark. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I saw the Metro Brothers gonna be on there. Yeah, they are uh, Jamie Spector's favorite tag team. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, man, let's get into this. Yeah, man. So New Japan Cup USA Finals, and of course we watched this using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details and to download the extension. And like we mentioned last week, we're doing these weekly watch parties on the extension. Uh, Danny's been hosting them, me and him on there. And, you know, this week we had some more people on there. We, we had, you know, Sir Sam all the way in Australia. Uh, so oh, shit. Several of the Reddit listeners, you know. So, yeah, the, the chat was popping this week. And it's really simple to use, guys. Um, depending on whether they air the video live or not, it's either just going on the home screen, jumping on the chat, or looking for that code that Danny and I will tweet out. And you jump on. We're in there, we're all chatting, you know, having jokes, and you know, watching uh, New Japan Strong. Yeah, uh, I think once I invest in say a desktop or laptop, then I'll be up in there with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so look forward to uh, this coming Friday. You know, we'll be on there again. So download that extension, NJBW 
ext.us and get the extension and join us, guys. Is uh, there is there anybody who's a listener that has super good takes? And also, conversely, is there anybody in the chat that just has shit takes and probably shouldn't be in there? <laughs> um, no, I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm just playing. <laughs> well, so pretty much everybody in there had uh, good takes, uh, you know. You, you know why they have good takes? Because they listen to our show and they're right. smart people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's get into this show here So show kicked off We had Adrian Quest teaming up with our good friend Rocky Romero To defeat Danny Limelight and the DKC What do you think about this one here? Um, Fine match um, You know, Danny Limelight, DKC, Adrian have, have we seen Adrian Quest before? I'm pretty sure we No, this, no? Is, this is Quest uh, NJPW debut here Okay, gotcha. So Danny Limelight and DKC, we saw them previously on uh, previous episodes, specifically the uh, Lions Break Collisions. So, um, you know, they're kind of familiar. Uh, Adrian Quest's first match here. Uh, I think the prevailing story basically is that just Rocky sort of been um, on a quest to pick up a W and hadn't really done so yet. Uh, he's taken on two familiar faces here in this tag match and, uh, you know, finally picks up uh, the big win. I didn't think the match was anything memorable, honestly. It was it was fine. Uh, it didn't overstay its welcome under ten minutes. It, I don't know. It's it fine, but uh, you know the big story here: Rocky picks up the big win. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, definitely the big story. They've been telling you know Rocky had been on a losing streak. Finally gets a win here. I'd say the highlight of the match was uh, Quest doing this crazy uh, twisting plancha um, from the top to the outside uh, to take out Danny Limelight. That was a crazy looking plancha. Oh, yeah, he hit a big tornado, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and then, yeah, Rocky hits the uh, slice of bread number two on DKC and gets the win here. Nice. So then we move on to the second match of the evening. We had Brody King and Flip Gordon defeat the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Switchblade Jay White. Um, interesting match here. So you've got, you know, Brody King and Flip Gordon from ROH, uh, two guys that are very familiar with one another as their, uh, partners and tag mates in the, you know, uh, I guess defunct villain enterprises. Maybe it's not, I don't know if they're still part of it or not. That really hasn't been addressed too much. Although ring of honor is about to come back with multiple TV taping. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and then obviously they're facing Chase Owens and Jay White. You know, when this match first was announced, I kind of looked at who was there and I was like, uh, I kind of expect Jay White to win just because it's a Jay White tag team. But then I was like, but I see he's got his pin eater with him. Right. <laughs> and they just beat Brody King. Uh, this is a tough one. Um, a couple last. Hold the turn. You, uh, you, uh, you broke up there for a second. Oh, what I was saying was I haven't actually seen Flip Gordon too much since he returned from injury and since the turn where he joined Villain Enterprises. So I'm noticing he's uh, put on some mass. He's definitely uh, working a different style. He's not doing as many uh, flips as his name implies. Um, maybe a much more heelish and kind of ground-centric uh, offense, uh, which was interesting to me. I kind of expected to see a little more aerial from him because that's just what I'm used to. But uh, overall, again, I, I didn't – Given the names right here, I was a little disappointed because I thought that this would probably be a pretty good match. Uh, it wasn't a bad match, but I, there's really nothing too memorable here. Um, you know, this didn't leave me like salivating for a Jay White flip match or a Brody King Jay White match. I actually thought Brody King was probably the standout guy in the in the match, 
but I couldn't really tell you what anyone really did. Uh, what I could tell you is Chase Owens ate the pinfall like he normally does, and uh, <laughs> that was a little surprising. Yeah, um, I was surprised by the result of this match, too. You know, that they made a big deal of Jay White being on strong, you know, advertising, you know, you know Jay, the switchblades back in action. So I'm like, oh, well, yeah, you know, Jay's back. They're going to give him a big win here and, you know, set up whatever they're going to do with him in the future. And especially, you know, facing a team like Flip and Brody, um, you know, like you mentioned, they beat Brody pretty quickly, pretty easily with uh, Tama in the first round of the New Japan Cup. And then, you know, Flip Gordon's a guy. He's been in best super juniors, but, you know, with the two Bullet Club guys, I was expecting, even though Chase is a peanut eater, I was expecting Jay to potentially pin, probably flip, or heck, even pin Brody and, you know, give Jay some momentum. But it seems like they are going to be doing some kind of feud between these two teams. And, you know, pre-COVID, the whole storyline was, um, you know, Villain Enterprises was eventually going to be feuding with Bullet Club. And uh, Jay White and Marty were supposed to have a big match at Super Card of Honor. Uh, but, you know, clearly with COVID, all that got canceled. And then, you know, Marty has been uh, got his allegations going on right now. And uh, so and are, they, are, are they allegations as much as confirmations? I well, think he's got he's got confirmations going on. Right. Yes. Um, you know, that, <laughs> that you know, ROH and Sinclair have been taking forever to look into. But um, well, you know, uh, I remember they were supposed to look into that. Uh, that Jay Lethal shit like years ago, and we never heard anything back about that shit either. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, if history tells us anything, I mean, it's going to be a while before we hear back on this one because we still haven't even heard back on the Jay Lethal allegations from right. all those years ago. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it seems like they were trying to continue the direction they were going and having these guys uh, feud with each other. From what I can understand and based off promos and stuff, it seems like Flip and Brody are not a part of you're not, not calling himself Villain Enterprises anymore. It, it actually looked like right. Flip's gear, like he had tape covered over uh, Villain Enterprises' logo on his gear. That's what it looked like to me. I, I mean, I would if I was him, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple questions here. Uh, you know, I noticed that, you know, Jay White was wrestling guys from Villain Enterprises, and I had known previously that – we were supposed to get the Marty Skrull, Jay Lethal, or I'm sorry, Marty Skrull and uh, Jay White match, you know. Um, but I never heard that that was going to lead to any sort of long-term feud between these two factions. So, I mean, where were you – who gave you the confirmation on that? Where did you kind of hear that? Or is that just something that you kind of figure they were doing? Uh, just, just pure speculation on my point. Um, okay, because you said it like matter of fact, and I was like, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> I didn't know that was happening. No, but it seemed like that was the direction they're going with. Because um, obviously, with Marty at the time being right. a Booker, he was trying to you know strengthen that relationship with NJPW and seem like there was going to be um, you know this Bullet Club, Bill Enterprises, especially since Marty used to be a part of the Bullet Club, and there's a lot of great backstories they could have told um, with that whole feud and rivalry. My favorite feud of Marty's going back to his um, Bullet Club days was the time when he kept trying to body slam uh Fale because he wanted to be a heavyweight, but he couldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm hoping they uh, give us the big payoff on that at some point. Uh, but no, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that uh, you're probably accurate. I mean, if I had to take a guess here, I mean, I would much prefer a war between villain enterprises and the bull club as opposed to a civil war within the bullet club that may or may not even happen. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, so fine match. It does seem like based on the promos that we're going to 
CDs, uh, some some version of, of a combination of these guys in action against one another somewhere down the road again. I don't know if it's going to be on Strong, though, or not. Yeah, I, be- I believe there was a post-match um, promo where I think Jay White called out Flip. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, yeah, Flip changing up his style. And I don't think it's so much to do with, like, the quote-unquote heel turn or whatever he is. Um, I think it's the injury. Yeah, a lot of injuries. He was on the their their Ring of Honor podcast, and I've heard him on um, what's uh, Chris Van Leet podcast, and just talking about the knee injuries he's had, the the elbow injuries he's had, and stuff like that. And so he is, you know, toning down some of the flips and high flying, which is like you mentioned, a little weird, especially for a guy named Flip Gordon. And every time we've seen him, you know, that's kind of been the highlight for him doing these kind of big, crazy flips and dives. You know, he's do rebrand. He's just be Gordon. <laughs> you should be uh, Grapple Gordon. It, it works for guys in the WWE. You know, you you lose you lose a part of your name, you become a bigger star. Apparently, I think that would help him <laughs> out immensely. Yes. Just coming to the ring, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should give that a try. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, so um, we go to the final match of the well, night. Before we get that, there was an angle. Oh. We had an angle here. So uh, Brody hits the big Gonzo bomb on Chase Owens to get the win, and then post match we had Hikaleo making his uh, return to NJPW to attack uh, Brody King and Flip Gordon and stand strong with uh, Jay White. Oh my God! What am I thinking? How could I forget this? Yeah, I thought this was actually. Really awesome. Um, it's one of the things with this show. Uh, you know, we're what three weeks in now. Yeah, and we haven't really seen too many angles like this. And uh, you know, during the first four episodes of the of the previous incarnation of the show, we were getting angles and things like that. And I was kind of like waiting for us to kind of see when when we're going to see some of that implemented here. And this seems to be one of the first really big angles. Like you get the post match beatdown, you get the big surprise return of Hikaleo. Um, which makes sense. You know, he's been, he was spending time pre COVID in England wrestling for, uh, rev pro and things of that nature. And now, um, you know, because of the fact that we are here in Florida, we know, you know, all the Tonga brothers are, you know, the sons of, uh, of, uh, Haku, they all live here. So it kind of makes sense that he'd probably find his way home and kind of be ready to participate in something like this. And I thought he looked great. Um, he is someone that we've always, strangely kind of been high on since his early like you know young lion days with the bullet club when i think a lot of people have been very down on hikaleo um i don't know if he's going to be a big star or anything but i think there's a lot of upside to his size his agility you know everything of that nature. he's got a lot he's got all the tools <laughs> <laughs> but um i thought he looked good here i mean it, this wasn't a match so it's not going to tell us everything we need to know about him but uh, you know, size for size, he's someone who can go toe to toe with Brody King, and that was a pretty awesome sight to just kind of see those two guys, you know, kind of go toe to toe. And um, you know, I'm excited to kind of see what's going to happen down the line with Hikaleo and uh, Brody King. I also think, given all the speculation about the Bullet Club, it's interesting because we kind of don't know where everyone stands. But it's interesting to see Hikaleo, who is obviously brothers with God members Tama and Tenga. Uh, you know, show up and, and uh, you know, kind of make the, the big save for Chase Owens and Jay White when some people might speculate, you know, is he, you know, Team Evil? Is he, you know, what's the deal? Right. And yeah, we still haven't, you know, Jay still hasn't addressed any of that stuff yet with what's going on Bullet Club and Evil 
being the leader yet. And so, you know, everybody keeps, keeps thinking there's these two sides and there's just Jay's side and evil side. But if, that, if that's the case, it definitely seems like the Tongans are, are going to be backing up Jay White here. Uh, maybe. I mean, you never, I mean, I don't know if Hikaleo speaks for the rest of the clan, but we'll see. Um, I know he don't speak for Fale. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah, man, we need to get, we, we, it's been a while. Like we ran into Hikaleo back in the day. I think maybe it's time we, uh, call in the favors, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I ran into him a couple years ago, that, that indie show we saw, uh, Haku versus Gangrel. Oh, what a, what a match. (laughs) That's one for the ages. (laughs) Oh man, but uh, yeah, let's move on to this uh, main event here. So we had the finals of the NJPW uh, New Japan Cup USA here with Kenta taking on David Finley. Yeah, the prestigious New Japan Cup of USA first ever tournament, and uh, I mean, what a finals here! I mean, when you talk about your matches of the year at the end of the year, there's going to be a short list of matches, and on that list. You've got to include Kenta versus David Finley because what a war. Uh, where were you the night when Kenta faced David Finley? <laughs> yeah, I got this one uh, penciled in as a uh, strong style fight of the year candidate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because of the size of the guys, I'm going to like go ahead and just make the call and uh, list this as one of the junior matches of the year as well. So mm. it's really good. Um before we talk about this match in, in all seriousness, two things I wanted to point out. This is something that I noticed last week, and I didn't say it because you forget to say things when you're live on you know, recording. But um, Alex Kozlov is a terrible announcer. Like, he's terrible. And uh, the first week I thought it was just okay, but the more I'm listening to him, And um, here's how you know he's terrible, because if I think he's terrible, then he's absolutely for sure terrible, because I've said on the show many times that I don't notice you unless you're great or unless you're really bad. To me, the majority of announcers are just fine. Even if other people think they're bad, they're usually just fine. But you have to be really actively bad for me to be like, all right, this this guy's not good. And I'm sorry, but Alex Kozlov is not good. Uh, on this show, I absolutely agree with you. The, the first week, I thought, like you mentioned, I thought he was fine the first week. I really didn't notice. I, I know there were some people kind of, kind of jumped on him the first week. And I was like, ah, he, he was fine. But yeah, ever since then, these last two weeks have been rough, especially this week. Like, yeah. Now, I will say that's not to say that he couldn't get better or grow into the role. He might be able to. I mean, um, you know, it's not like the drizzling shits. Like, it's not like. Uh, you know, freaking Lanny Poffo territory just yet, but uh, it's 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 been rough. And you know, um, Kevin Kelly is like one of the best guys out there, especially at leading other people through, you know, calling a match. And I've I've seen him work with so many English speaking talents who are not traditional broadcasters. You know, Fale, uh, Chase Owens, Jay White. Uh, you know, Chucky, you name it. Chucky T, Trent, Juice. Yeah, yeah, all those guys. And uh, this this one, he wasn't really able to salvage it. Um, one thing I did want to point out about Kevin Kelly, though, that I thought was really awesome attention to detail. He mentioned how they had tag matches on standby in case the show didn't go the full like time limit. Mm-hmm. And I like that sort of attention to detail. It's the sort of thing you used to hear in wrestling shows back in the day. They're like, you know, we're going to uh, stick with this match. TV time allowing, you know, 
if the match ends early, we've got matches on standby. And it's like, that's like a sporting event almost. Like, that's pretty cool, you know? And you have, I haven't heard anyone say anything like that in a long time, but you used to hear that all the time in wrestling. So I, I like that attention to detail. Yeah, that was pretty cool attention to detail. Like, you know, this week only had three matches compared to the previous weeks where we've had four matches. So it was actually kind of believable, like, oh, you know, this match could, you know, and early there's no time limit that, you know, somebody can get knocked out quick. And then, oh, yeah, they could throw on a special, you know, tag main event or whatever, whatever kind of match. So, yeah, that was a pretty good call there. One other thing I want to point out. So, you know, this is not really a WWE show, but you kind of see what's going on with WWE, their presentation, obviously the, the new Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there are other companies too that I could probably point out. I think namely the other one that's worth mentioning is maybe say like, uh, impact, you know, especially since they don't even have an audience. So these are two companies that are really focusing, especially name, mostly WWE, but I think impacts probably worth mentioning where they're focusing a lot on the external presentation because of the fact that there's not an actual live audience there, you know? Mm -hmm. And, it's almost like two different philosophies when you compare those shows to New Japan Cup or I'm sorry to uh, New Japan Strong. You know, with New Japan Strong, you've got extremely sports centered presentation. Like, yes, they do have a nice setup and yes, they do have some lights and it doesn't look rinky dink like it's certainly recorded on some sort of stage studio or something of that nature. But the lights are dimmed. Stuff in the background is sort of like tuned out and it's the lights and the action and everything that's being called is completely focused in on what the show is about, which is the wrestling. And then you kind of compare that to, um, I don't want to indict impact because I'm not saying that they're trying to distract, but I think they're trying to make up for the lack of fans by having a bunch of nice lights and the big setup. But I mean, WWE especially is doing that, you know, like it has this huge led monitor board with thousands of fans. <laughs> Like, and they've got like I was just before we started recording the show, I was watching uh, Drew McIntyre go out there, and they got flames like literally coming out of the crowd, and, like laser lights. It's the craziest shit you ever seen. I'm like, I was like, this company is really doing all this work just to distract from the wrestling. Like, it's completely different, uh, you know, philosophies on the presentation, you know, during this pandemic and COVID era. And uh, I appreciate what Strong's doing because. Even if I don't love the fact that there's no fans there and everything, I find it much more like appetizing and, and uh, you know palatable to just watch a show where the wrestling is being focused on like a sport as opposed to this circus almost. Like it's crazy. <laughs> right, yeah. It definitely yeah, brings your attention to what's actually going on in the ring. You allow the wrestlers to tell the story in the ring without all the you know bells and whistles and – yeah, you know, New Japan's always, obviously, always really been good about focusing on the the in ring uh, part of wrestling and telling that you know kind of sports based storytelling. And so, yeah, I think not having all kinds of distractions and screens and piped in noise definitely helps you focus in on the actual match. Yeah. So, uh, thoughts about this matchup here? Um, you know, I I can't really say too much that's bad or good about it um i think if you listen to last week's show you'll notice that this is probably about what we expected given the track record of these two guys in the tournament um honestly i know you really liked kenta versus um 
Fredericks. What, what's, yeah, Carl Fredericks from, from week one. I thought that was probably – honestly, I think that was Kenta's best showing in the tournament so far. But um, none, none of the matches have really been any sort of blow-away matches. And I mean part of it is like you can't fault them because they're not getting a ton of time. But you also kind of kind of think to yourself like, dude, they should be maximizing the amount of time they have, especially – I don't know, man. I just think to myself, like, I know this isn't quote unquote dynamite. Uh, and I know there's probably a, a, a segment of fans who are going to be mad at me comparing <laughs> <laughs> the two. But I think it's it's an apt comparison because you these are two relatively new products to the marketplace at the same time. And, you know, you think about those first few weeks of dynamite and those guys were working so fucking hard to get the shit over, you know. And Kenta kind of seems like he's phoning it in, to be honest with you. Um and part of it, I know it's he's a heel, heel tendencies slow it down, but I also kind of think like there's no crowd, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and uh, I know that I know that there's still a learning curve for some guys, especially like these guys who this was their first, you know, taping and actual wrestling during the the pandemic. Even though we've been back for a few months, these guys hadn't been, so I think there is still a learning curve, but um. You know, Kenta had hadn't been some sort of dynamo in this tournament. He's just been regular, and uh, neither had Dave Finley. And they went out there and they had a decent match. I don't know that I could go over three stars. I mean, that's a good match, but it's nothing like even close to great. Um, I I'll say that I think this is a very disappointing tournament. I don't think there was a single match that I thought was even like uh, near great. You know, nothing was terrible, but. Actually, I think the match of the tournament for me was probably Tamatonga and Brody King personally. Like, and that's not saying much, <laughs> uh, as good as that match was. So, yeah, I, I wasn't impressed here. I mean, uh, what were your overall thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts are very similar to yours. I thought this was a good match. You know, I I'd give the gentleman's three. Um, it's almost pretty much what you're saying. Kind of what I expected from both of these guys in this type of matchup here and. Like you mentioned, yeah, Kenta, he, you know, he's being a heel. He's slowing stuff down for a non-existing, you know, audience. And I get you want to be a heel, but I feel like there's other ways you can be a heel without slowing it down in front of nobody. And, you know, there's no, you're not getting any booze. You're not getting any heat that way. And like you mentioned, you know, this is a new show. And JPW Strong, you know, first New Japan Cup tournament in the USA, you know, big deal, you know, Guy's gonna get a shot at John Moxley in the future, and I just feel like for the main event of this tournament, the the, the final of this tournament, the, the main event of this show, it should have been a special match. We should have been. I know we just joked about it, but we should have been like by the you know at the end of the year. Oh, you, you remember the finals of the New Japan Cup USA? Like that was you know a, a dope match. You know that was a great tournament, and like you said, it was just kind of a average tournament. Some fine wrestling, some fine matches, but there was nothing that really made this tournament stand out. And in this finals, like you mentioned, these guys didn't maximize their minutes. They did not, you know, really, you know, make this something to truly talk about. In other years, this would have been the kind of match where people at the end of the year, like, you know, say February, March of 2021, like, hey, uh, just started watching at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, what were some of the underrated or forgotten matches of the year last year? And then people will be like, oh, man, Kenta versus Dave Finley. That's like an underrated gem. To me, that's what this could have been, you know, given the names that were involved. Right. Like, even if even if it was truly great, I don't, you know, there's always that kind of bias. You know, it, like, 
like when Juice has really good G1 matches and no one even com- no one mentions how good they are, you know? Right. And then when people are like, what are some of the underrated gems? And then like, oh man, Ishii and Juice from last year was like incredible, you know? That's what this could have been. Um, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, let's, I don't know if they're going to end up doing this tournament again in the future. Uh, who knows? But let's say they do, you know? And let's say years from now, people are going back and looking through the tournaments. This is like Royal Rumble 1988. Like, have you ever watched that first Royal Rumble? I, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, it, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like this, this is going to be remembered as like New Japan's like version of that. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, it's a great tournament. But that first tournament, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, there are things going against it. These guys hadn't wrestled in months. It was happening all in one day. So they're rest, you know, Kenta and Dave Finley both wrestled like three times during this recording. Uh, again, no fans. Um, there's just a lot kind of working against it. Plus, I don't know how important it really felt to either of them, you know, to, to work in front of nobody on a sound stage for something that's not even really on cable in the US. It's only on, you know, the website. But they're really putting a lot of promotional material behind this and trying to hype it up like it's a big deal. Maybe they should have been given more time. You know, maybe they I don't know even who's agenting these matches in the US, to be honest with you, uh, if they have one at all. But I mean, maybe it should have gotten 20 minutes and maybe they should have told him, like, you guys need to do the epic, you know, house style of New Japan. But they didn't really do that. Like, Kenta just kind of cheated. And I mean, that's fine. But we already got that story this year. You know, we got that with evil in the New Japan Cup. And I mean. I know it's Bullet Club, but it's like it's a little overkill to get two singles tournaments back to back where guys are kind of doing similar things. And um, it's weird. I can't even say that Kenta's was worse than Evil's necessarily because at least Evil had the benefit of like having the, the, the crowds and the big opponents. Like Kenta didn't have that, but like you're right. These guys didn't maximize their time. Like, I don't know how important – this didn't feel important to me from either of them. Like, you know, New Japan is really, really big on fighting spirit. I didn't see fighting spirit from either of these guys, you know? I didn't see Dave Finley put on this great effort in loss that endeared him to me or Kenta, you know, be a dick but at the end of the day show he could really go. It just was a standard – it felt like a house show match. Yeah, absolutely, and – I get, you know, not wanting to work super hard in front of nobody. You don't want to risk, you know, getting an injury um, on, you know, on an empty arena show. I get that. But at the same time, like like you mentioned, they're putting a lot of promotion behind this show. It's, you know, the finals of a tournament. It should be a big deal. Um, and, you know, what does it say for a guy like Kenta, who's a former Never Champion? He last time we saw him, he was challenging for the double titles. And he's having to cheat to beat David Finley, who barely is like, you know, a tag team title contender. Well, I don't think that that's it. I don't think he has to cheat to beat Dave Finley. If you want my honest opinion, I think the idea is supposed to be he could beat him without cheating, but he chooses to cheat because he's a prick. Kind of a Fergal Devitt kind of thing. That's how I see it. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. But at the same time, it's not like. Um, Dave Finley showed me any contrary opinion to that. You know what I mean? Like they didn't show me like, Oh, he really could have beat Kenta there. You know? Right. Um, and you know, who knows what Kenta's thinking? Like, he's probably like, you know, 
I'm going to be wrestling John Moxley at some point down the line. There's going to be a lot of time between now and then. When the time comes, we'll heat the matchup by doing an angle, and that's when I'll actually put forth the effort. So it probably doesn't matter to him. And Dave Finley's like, you know, what the fuck? I mean, I'm this. Who knows what's you know? This is just for them. This was just a one shot to come in and do a taping, and they don't even know if they're going to be able to keep doing this beyond that. You know, I know. New Japan will keep doing strong because they've got guys in California and stuff, but who's to say, you know, given the the climate of how everything is politically and health-wise in this country that these guys will be back on the show for the next tapings. We don't even really know, you know. So um I don't know where their headspace was, you know. Right. I, I really don't. I mean, I, I don't know if I can bury them too much because it was fine. But uh I'll I'll say this. This didn't make me want to see Kenta and John Moxley because of how good the match was or the heat that he got or anything like that. And it didn't make me want to see Dave Finley get any kind of like second chance or come up and down the line. And we'll talk about it in a second, but they're, you'll go over the angle, but they're building to a uh, Kenta versus Jeff Cobb rematch. And like based on their previous outing, I don't really care to see them wrestle again. So it's not making strong feel like a big deal to me. In fact, I don't know if I said it last week, but lines break collision felt like the better show so far out of the two shows. Right. And uh, that, just cause those guys, those guys are really, really, really putting forth a lot of effort. Yeah. I think the difference there. Yeah. With lines break collision, I think they, they kind of had a, you know, a beginning and a destination. Like they knew like, it was only four weeks and we're building to this, you know, Frederick's Cobb program and the show is kind of resolved around that. You kind of have this kind of an end point. And with New Japan Strong, it's kind of a weekly show. You know, there's there's going to be multiple kind of different points they're hitting to. I'm not even sure if they, they even know for sure what they're going to be trying to hit to. Like you mentioned, like at any point, COVID can get worse. Some of these guys might not be able to travel to California and some stuff might, you know, not end up working out. Um, so I, I think that's probably the advantage that, that Collision had over uh, Strong here. Well, I wouldn't call that an advantage, Jeremy. I would call that uh, – what's the word? That's one of the uh, – God, I don't know what the word is. That's just one of the things that they did better because the advantage – the word advantage would mean that they didn't have the same opportunity, whereas the show had the exact same opportunity. It was four weeks of taping, just like that was four weeks of taping. They had the opportunity to tell their own story in a four week period, uh, you know, just like any number of historical TV taped wrestling shows or programs. So I wouldn't even call that an advantage. I would say that that's what they were superior at doing. They told a better story in a shorter, in, in, in the same amount of time. And this show tried to do something similar and didn't really pull it off to the same degree. I love aspects of the show. I love the presentation. I like the graphics. I like the look of it. I like, the wrestlers, I like some of the matches, but um, I'm not engrossed week to week by this show whatsoever. I think the only truly great match they've really had was that six-man tag from last week. I know it's only three weeks in, but this feels – and I know this is going to be weird to say, but like this almost feels comparable to like AEW Dark right now as opposed to something that should be competing for my attention with, say, any of the other big shows like Dynamite or – you know. Raw or SmackDown or NXT or whatever, you know, it doesn't feel like that right now. Right, it definitely is coming off like like a B show right now, and it shouldn't. I mean, um, 
Lions Break Collision didn't really feel like a B show to me. It felt like one of the best shows of the year, uh, honestly. And I don't think they've quite picked up from where they left off with that just yet. Right. So um, how this match concluded, uh, Finley goes for the, the prima nocta. Kenta shoves him into the ref, hits him, kicks him in the low blow like he did uh, to uh, Cobb to win that matchup. Uh, ref gets back up. Kenta only gets a two count off the low blow. Uh, they trade some European uppercuts, and Kenta eventually gets him up for the GTS and gets the win here. Um, he gets awarded a trophy. He gets the U.S. title briefcase as his reward. Uh, he then called out John Moxley, shouting, "Where's the John Moxley? <laughs> and what's he <laughs> what's he doing?" Uh, and he's saying he is coming for the current IWGP U.S. champion. And he switched to Japanese and uh, reiterated what he said in English, and then. Jeff Cobb comes out, attacks him, uh, tries to suplex him. McKenta powders, and uh, Cobb grabs a briefcase and stares at it and looks like we're getting Cobb versus Kenta for the briefcase. Yeah, the rematch everyone's been clamoring for. I mean, <laughs> uh, we got some questions here. Uh, from Stone Cold, Bob Saget, uh, he asked, Alex Kovlov looks like an asshole. That's my question. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't really say that that's the case. In fact, I've always heard from anyone who's ever brought Alex Kozlov up in uh, any sort of non-kayfabe sense, they always say he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never heard anything negative about Kozlov. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he looks like an asshole to me. He looks like a you know, just normal dude to me. So, To me, I'm just thinking, like, I don't know, man. I don't want to say you're racist, but I mean, like, he just looks extremely like, you know, Russian to me. And I mean, maybe, maybe he's got a bias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe he, maybe he like watched Rocky four too much. I don't know. <laughs> uh, next question here from Viking pain. What did you guys think of Alex Kozlov on commentary? I think he's been awful. Even Kevin Kelly can't <laughs> carry him. Is there anyone available out there that you guys would like to pair up with Kevin on strong? Are you guys fine with Kozlov? And he also says, hear me out, NJPW Thunderdome. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, if there was anybody I'd like to pair up with Kevin Kelly that's out there, uh, let's bring in um, Don Callis. <laughs> yes, the uh, the golden announcer, Don Callis. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know, man. Um, how about Jim Cornette? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear he's not doing anything. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, I, I I honestly don't have anyone in particular that I can think of that I'd like to pair him up with. Although, I mean, Josh Barnett did a really good job on the previous show. Yeah, Josh Barnett was great. He's in California. I mean, Mav Gillis is out there. Heck, you know, Rocky Romero. I know he's wrestling a lot now, but he's not in every match. Maybe on the shows that he's not on, he could be in the booth. Um, yeah, uh, I think the thing with um. Josh though is ever since he tried to fight uh <laughs> Jay White. <laughs> Jay Jay White, like they don't they didn't really like that, you know. <laughs> uh I mean, you know, we're seeing Ring of Honor guys, you can you can bring in Caprice Coleman, uh, No. <laughs> what? I I don't think Caprice Coleman's good. I think with Kevin Kelly he's good. I don't think I don't know. The last time I heard Capri, I'll say this, the last time I heard Caprice Coleman, I thought he was better. Than I than he had been in the past, but generally speaking, I don't really like Caprice Coleman as a commentator. 
there's uh, Ian Riccoboni. Yeah, he's great. They could have brought him in for these tapings. Although, you know, it's tough when you have two guys that are really good at play-by-play like that. You know, like, you need a good color guy. And, um, yeah, that's. I think that's the thing. I don't know. We're just throwing names out there, though. Who knows? uh, Alex Kozlov? uh, Nigel McGinnis, they they furloughed him. So, uh, so I bring McGinnis in the fold. But but furloughed doesn't mean fired. Right, but I think it's past the point now where – I don't know if they're bringing, they're going to bring him back or not. But he's like tied to like NXT UK and shit. Like I don't know. I'm just saying if they're, if that is not going to bring him back, let's uh, bring him Guinness in. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, as far as NJP Thunderdome, that's that's a hilarious joke, Viking Pan. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question from Grunty Dodds. He said. Um, are you guys really sick of the ads for the NJP Collection app too? Why is Will Ospreay so nervous to use it? Is it just a game, not a woman accusing him of misconduct? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what's funny? I don't know what they're advertising for that, like, magic sponge that you – what's it called? Do you know the name of that? I, I forget now. That weird – Dude, sport. I love that ad. The <laughs> ad where – why are you laughing? It's not a joke. Cause that ad's like so goofy, bro. It's just like an anime. Everything about it looks and feels like an anime. Like with uh freaking Carl Fredericks talking about how cool the like thing is, and like um, Clark Connors just like be. It, it, I love that commercial. I think it's so good. It, it's completely you know anime inspired. Everything about it. It's awesome. But um. Yeah, I don't really like the the Will Ospreay uh, <laughs> card game app uh, commercial too much. Yeah, so honestly, you know, I really haven't like focused in much on the commercials because when I'm watching the shows, you skip them. Yeah, I'm usually watching them. You know, the Japan shows, I'm usually watching them after they air, and so when they go to the intermission to clean the ring, I skip through the commercials. But this week, I I try to. <laughs> uh, this week on Strong, they. Uh, they aired the show live, which was weird. So obviously it's, it's a taped show, um, and but they put it on like it was a live video. So you could, so okay. if you're watching it live, you couldn't skip through the commercials this week. See, I watched it a day or two later, so I didn't know that. I was thinking that they were going to air this thing live, and in fact, I think they should be if they're like it's airing quote unquote at ten. Then I don't think they should put up VOD. Personal, that's my opinion. Right, yeah. Um, if you're gonna put it up VOD, just throw it up at the beginning of the day and just let people watch it whenever. Uh, no, no, no. The show airs at 10 p.m. Eastern. Right. It needs to. That's it what needs I'm to saying. Be aired at t- 10 p.m. Eastern. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So if it's going to be airing at 10, then air it live. But if you're not gonna air it live, what's the point of throwing a date on it and just throw it oh, up okay. VOD and just let people watch it whenever? Okay, I agree with you because you said um, you said throw it up VOD and just let the people watch it whenever. And I was like, no, it needs to go up at 10. Right, if you're gonna advertise it as ten, because the first, the, right. very, the very first week, even with um, with Collision, the very first episode, like I'm there at ten, I'm like, all right, where the heck is the live, you know, banner button, right. and you have to keep refreshing until it pops up on the VOD. Agreed. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. Um, so I, I'm glad that they're airing it. Here's the thing with me and those commercials. I know we're spending way too much time on commercials, <laughs> but it's just like I try to fast forward through them, but then that. Fush- I don't know what the name of it is, but the magic uh, 
Sponge, Sponge gimmick. commercial shows up, and I'm like, all right, well, I gotta watch this at least. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's man. so funny, like. Uh, Carl Frex keeps telling them how cool the sponge is and Clark Connors is like just being weird and goofy and like yeah it's great I love it but um yeah yeah so this uh, is funny next a woman accusing him of misconduct oh my god <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Will Ospreay he uh he wrestled last night at a Red Pro Epic Encounter yeah he was in a tag match heard it was a pretty good matchup I heard it was good. I heard the women's match with the main event was better. Yeah, I heard good results. Actually, I heard a good result for the whole show altogether. But yeah, I heard the main event was pretty good as well. Mm. So, uh, last question here from oh no, we got a lot of questions. My yeah. God. Okay, <laughs> that's a good problem to have. Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig. He asked, "How great was it to see Jay White back in action, considering how long he was on the shelf? Is it surprising that he seems to be not too rusty?" And, you know, it, it was good seeing Jay back and, you know, kind of like we mentioned last week, kind of bringing that, you know, star power of, of having, you know, that main kind of main quote unquote main roster guy, you know, on strong. Um, yeah, he looked in great shape, um, but, you know, he just had a, a regular match. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but I didn't think he looked great. I didn't think he looked bad. I mean, he didn't do a lot in the match, which was fine. Um Again, I want to go back to the – because this is a point I wanted to make earlier. The one question I had about him losing, I understand that, like, you've got three stars there. You know, two from one brand that are perceived as big stars and then one from the other brand. And then you got Chase, who is a designated pin eater. So from a traditional New Japan perspective, it does make sense to beat Chase. But it doesn't make sense from a Western perspective to hype up Jay White and bring him on the show to have his team lose. I don't think it at all hurts Jay White or anything like that, but it also doesn't really help anybody. You know? Right. I, I feel like they should have built to it better. Like Jay should have mm-hmm. won a singles match. And then you do some kind of angle where he like runs into flipping Brody in the backstage and that sets up the tag match. And then, you know, flipping Brody could beat them. And then that sets up the one-on-one match with flipping Jay. Yeah, and who knows? Uh, we'll wait to see how it plays out. Maybe this is leading, like you know, like the uh, promos indicated, or something, and maybe they'll build from it. But um, it just seemed weird to like hype up one of your biggest stars, you know, on the first one of your first few episodes of the show, and then on his first appearance, his team loses, and it just seemed kind of lackluster. I, I didn't get that, but um, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, he also said, "I like that more Indian Ring of Honor guys are appearing on New Japan Strong to mix it up, but." I hope they don't stray too far from giving the Young Lions time to shine. Is there any program or match between an L.A. Dojo Young Lion and a more established wrestler that you'd like to see on Strong? So I think it'd be interesting if they did, you know, you know, Carl's been talking about, you know, this, you know, kind of wolf pack and why can't the L.A. Dojo, you know, be their own faction. I think it'd be pretty cool to do like the L.A. Dojo Young Lions first, like Bullet Club. And so you have, like, Carl Fredericks, Connors, and, you know, Coughlin, you know, trying to fight off, like, Jay White from taking over their, quote-unquote, territory. I guess my big question with this, and I hadn't given it too much thought, but you bring up some great points there, Rambo and Slam Pig. What is the purpose of all this in light of the Young Lions? Because the traditionalist in me says they should never win, you know? Right. But the, But – 
this LA dojo has been anything but traditional. You know, they've kind of strayed away from some of the uh, traditions that you see from the uh, the Noki dojo. So I don't know, man. It's like they're supposed to still be in training. And with them still being in their developmental phase, still learning, the the regular thing here is that they're supposed to be getting beat. You know, they're not supposed to be winning matches. The problem with that is you've got a lot of independent guys who are not regular roster members of New Japan. And do you want those types of people regularly beating, you know, Clark Connors and Alex Coughlin and stuff like that? Um I, I think it's a tough conundrum if you really think about it from a booking perspective. Plus, I don't know how much input or involvement um, Gato really has with this project. That's another thing to kind of consider. I mean, we know he's a long-term booker and storyteller. And I mean, we've kind of wondered in the past what how this plays into the greater canon of New Japan. And I know they might be somewhat quote unquote hands off with the product. This is almost in a sense, it feels sort of like new Japan's NXT. Mm, yeah. To a certain degree, you know, it exists on its own, but it's still part of the overall quote unquote brand or universe. So it's not like Vince is booking how guys, well, maybe he is now, but back in the day, you know, he didn't book how Kevin Owens was going to be used, but at the end of the day, they still wanted them to be ready when they called them up, you know? Right. And I don't know if that I don't know if that's how it's going to be between Japan and America with these brands or if they're going to share the guys back and forth on tours. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Jeremy, given some of the things I've brought up, what do you think? You know, not just answering his question, but answering some of the things, some of the concerns I have. Yeah, you bring up some uh, great points there. You know, we have seen the past on some of these Lions Break project shows in the U.S. that young Lions would beat some of these indie guys that are getting tryouts or, you know, guys that are, you know, getting a look and potentially want to go into the dojo. And typically what we've seen in, like, Lions Gate project in Japan, you would see the young Lions feuding with each other. And that was kind of the big hook. And, you know, you have the Young Lions Cup and... you know, you have these guys having, you know, Yagi Narita and, the, you know, these guys having these uh, these big rivalries on that show and kind of culminating to a big, like, final blow-off or somebody finally beats the other one. And I think that would be cool to have, but I know uh, Coughlin is injured right now. Fredericks is now graduated, so technically Connors is the only, you know, active L.A. Dojo guy that's considered a, a young line right now. And, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with him going forward if you have him face off against indie guys and, and get some upset wins or he does he just keep, you know, doing a traditional role and face a Jay White and lose. Well now I'm giving it some more thought. You know, I'm like, well we've seen some guys go out and then have feuds and be in programs. But then the more I think about it, I'm like, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of excursions. And this almost feels like an excursion because it's away from the standard New Japan proper shows over in Japan. But then the more I think about it, I'm like, you know what? You brought up some good points about Lions Break, but you know what? This is not Lions Break. This is supposed to be something different than that collision show, which was focused on the Lions. This is New Japan strong. I think that until you're ready to send a guy on an excursion, and that's just the traditionalist in me, until you're ready to send him on an excursion or you're ready to call him up 
and give him his, uh, you know, whatever you want, his uh, promotion, then they need to be treated like a young lion. And what that means is tag matches, singles matches where they lose. Uh, if you want to give them a little program with a veteran or someone, you know, um, they lose it. And that is the focus on them. I think that it would actually be a pretty big departure from New Japan as a whole to treat the American young, the LA Dojo Young Lions differently than how they treat all the other traditional Young Lions. I think that it should, in my opinion, be the same. Right, and with um, you know Connors being the only active guy right now, also we don't know what the the tape matches are going forward. But yeah, I could see him just being in tag matches, or like you mentioned. Kind of having these feuds like we see, like, you know... See, but he should be losing them. Right. And, like, he, he lost his tag match a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, we see guys like Suji who will try and, like, feud with, like, Makabe and Ishii and stuff like that. And eventually it leads to a, a singles match where, you know, eventually, you know, Makabe or Ishii, whoever it is, ends up just beating them. So I think you could do stuff like that. But overall, I'm not expecting, you know, Connors to be going out here and being in main events and cutting promos and having these, like, epic feuds or anything. That's kind of why I disagree with your initial idea. While I think the concept is a cool idea, I don't think they should be doing like a quote-unquote L.A. Dojo faction unless the guys in the faction are graduated. You know, right. we're from the L.A. Dojo. We're all graduated. Okay, cool. But um, I don't want to see Young Lions in a faction having feuds with anybody personally. That's just my take, and I, I that's my opinion. Well, in my view, it would be like, yeah, they're graduating. They're now like an official stable, and Fredericks is like bringing these guys up with him, and like they're all no longer young lions kind of thing. One last thing I will say, uh, he had a concern about them not giving them time to shine. I think that they've actually done a pretty good job giving them showcase matches, um, and I think that will be a continuing trend, honestly. Yeah. Last thing he said, do you think anyone will ever top the length of Moxley's run with the U.S. belt? Long may he reign. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure someone will. I mean, this reign doesn't almost count. Like, <laughs> it does count, but I mean, you know, the company shut down for like four months, and he hasn't been back since January. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. February. He came back for the New Beginning shows. Right, yeah, the Suzuki match. And the Okada tag match. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure eventually down the line somebody could top Moxley's reign. But like you said, like, all these title reigns this year, it's, it's kind of hard to actually, like, count long reigns. Well, they, you know, the thing with this company, and it's funny because Mavs Gillis actually uh, asked this question on Twitter a few months ago, and he got uh, sort of obliterated by Kevin Kelly and different people online. He, like, asked a question about... Um, and he tagged a bunch of people that are involved with like New Japan and different personalities. We were actually tagged in that post, and he was like, you know, with um, freaking Naito's reign, does it count uh, to the same extent as other people's reigns from the past when you kind of compare day, like length of days or whatever because of the COVID situation and he hasn't had as many defenses and. Uh, you know, there it, it's funny. Some people were like trying to really stick up for. Naito, but at the end of the day, it's not any of the performers' faults what's been going on. But the reality is, is the strength of any title defense. Yes, the days matter, but 
the amount of successful defenses are always the thing that have defined great title reigns in New Japan history. And most of these people didn't defend their titles because the, you know, it was outside of their control. And I mean, Mox hasn't been able to defend his belt. I do think they probably should have stripped him by now. They're probably not going to, because that would be the second title reign he's had where they stripped him. Right. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So uh, moving on to the next question here, uh, Kevin from DC, he says King switch returns. He and chase had a, a fun little outing with the former villain enterprise boys and in his background comments, Jay went ahead and challenged Flip for a future match. However, he did not bother to comment on Evil or Kenta for that matter, leaving the hierarchy of BC still up in the air. Complicating matters even more, Jay White posted on Instagram, yes, I follow him, don't hate, a photo of himself with a simple caption, 829. I would have thought him returning to Japan would be impossible at this point, but it could simply be White playing chess while we're playing checkers. What are your thoughts? I think we've both been speculating that we anticipate him to be there for the Jingu Stadium show, right? Yes. Yep. Other than that, I agree with everything else you said. Uh, great question. I just I don't have much much to add to that. I think he'll be there. Yeah, and so, yeah. And like we mentioned, these the strong tapings that happen, you know, a few weeks ago now. Um, and so it's all kind of one-day thing. So there's definitely time for him to fly out and to potentially be there this coming Saturday. Josh McLaughlin asks, other than Kenta, obviously, who has the best hair in New Japan? Well, I'm not sure I could, uh, you know, consider Kenta's on on the best list right now. Uh, But, uh, I mean, is there anybody better than Tanahashi? It's the ace. Come on. Uh, The only other name I would throw on there is, like, maybe Miho Abe or Peter. Mm. But, uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh i mean the ace got the best hair of all time ever in the history of humans in Je- oh bro so funny this past week when, this past week when pat mcafee wrestled uh uh what's his name adam cole and he cut a promo and he was like i have the strongest leg in the history <laughs> of humans or legs in general <laughs> <laughs> I love that promo. So I'm like, Tanahashi has the greatest hair or extensions in the history of humans or heads in general. <laughs> Who's got better hair than the ace? Nobody. Right. There, there was that kind of awkward phase where he cut it for uh, my dad as a heel wrestler and that kind of weird like growing back out phase. Bro, Tanahashi on his worst hair day is better than anybody else in their best hair day. Let's get real. Come on. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you want to find a down, no, I'm out. fucking offended. It's getting me heated. I don't like this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, for next week on Strong, they're going to be starting the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour, and so I'm guessing these Strong shows are going to have you know themes going forward. So obviously, the first few weeks the theme was New Japan Cup USA. So I guess you know going forward, everything's going to be Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Oh, I like that. That's cool. That's a cool concept. That that actually kind of stays in line with traditional New Japan, and that's something unique and different from you know what you see with a lot of the Western companies. I mean, we've seen some like quote unquote special shows from companies like AW this past year. You know, they had like the Bash of the Beach and the Jericho Cruise and Fighter Fest, and and I kind of like that that they do stuff like you know what that reminded me of was like when um. 
Raw and SmackDown when they had exclusive pay-per-views. Right. And so there was like the off time where like, let's say in June, SmackDown's running a pay-per-view and Raw's not. So you get a quote-unquote pay-per-view caliber card from Raw one of the Mondays. Right. The the last Raw of the month would quote-unquote be like the pay-per-view for Raw. Right. And that was always great that they did that. Uh, And I liked that. So I think that that would be kind of a cool concept to sort of like, you know, they're having the the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour, and maybe everything's building to that final show, which is kind of what they're already doing with the show. So I like that idea. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to guess possibly we're going to see Cobb versus um, Kenta for the briefcase at the finale of this upcoming tour. And then it'll, it'll probably be Jay White and Flip probably on that same card or on the second to last card or whatever they're going to build that maybe. Maybe we'll get Hikaleo and... um. Brody King and Brody King, you know, you skipped Kyle Martin's questions. So, oh, well, cause I, they were not related to that topic. I forgot they were supposed to go to the other questions at the bottom. So I cut that. Oh my God. And pasted that here. while I was talking. Well, you, you brought up the box. Cause I, while you were talking, I cut it and pasted it down at the bottom. Well, it didn't update for me, man. I mean, <laughs> I can't see this, uh, but <laughs> anything else on fighting spirit unleashed. No, I said it was one other thing kind of related to Strong that I wanted to mention was the John Moxley interview that happened on Wrestling Observer Radio this past weekend. Uh, John had a lot of comments about his run in New Japan, which uh, some I tweeted out on our Twitter account at KI Strong Style. Uh, yeah, man, you did a fantastic job uh, tweeting those out. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to this yet, but I mean, a lot of people really liked the uh, you know brief recaps that you. Uh, the way you just kind of encapsulated some of the important talking points that were covered on that interview. I can't wait to actually listen to it this coming week. Yeah, and so Viking Payne asked for our thoughts on the Moxley interview on Wrestling Observer Radio. Uh, I thought it was a good uh, interview. Uh, Moxley's such a cool guy and so down to earth and just calls it as it is. And all of his interviews, you know, post IV have been great. And this was another great interview. And I'm glad that Dave asked a lot of New Japan questions just to not focus on AEW. But also, the, one of the big questions was, you know, the U.S. title and what's the future of that. And uh, so two interesting things around revolving around that: his contract status. So Moxley stated that he is currently not under a in New Japan contract. His initial deal was from June 2019 to Wrestle Kingdom, um, but after that, they've kind of went into a verbal agreement. Mox loves wrestling in New Japan as long as they ha- keep having good opponents for him. He still wants to go back, and so. They're kind of under this verbal agreement right now that whenever they have a match for him, he would go and do what he needs to do. Um, and then it's revolving around the U.S. title and the, the winner of New Japan Cup USA, he did say that there will be a match that they're they're working on it right now. You have to know when or where it's going to be, but they're working on it. Great. Well, that answers some of our questions and uh, concerns. I hope we do end up getting a match, uh, you know, whether it's Kenta or someone who defeats him for the briefcase. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So, Although, I will say, I was really looking forward to the prospect of Mox and Zack Sabre Jr., and it seems like that's kind of not going forward, which kind of sucks. Yeah, that was definitely one of those matches that they were uh, building up there before the pandemic hit. So uh, before we uh, move on, we got to put over our partners here at Manscaped in their Lawn Mower 3.0. And we still have this great deal going on for you guys. So the next four people who purchase something from Manscaped and use our code and email us proof of purchase to socialsuplets at gmail.com will get all out 
order them courtesy of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Uh, aforementioned, John Moxley will be defending his AEW world title against MJF on the main event of that pay-per-view. Former IWGP Intercontinental Champion, Le Champion, Chris Jericho, will be facing off against Orange Cassidy and the Mimosa Mayhem. All that's going to be a fun pay-per-view. You need to check it out. And why not get it for free by getting something from Manscaped using our code SUPLEX. You get 20% off and free shipping, and you're getting a free pay-per-view. And you don't just have to get the awesome Lawnmower 3.0 that we talk about every week. Any of their products you can get and use our code SUPLEX to get that discount and be eligible to get the pay-per-view. Yeah, and in order to qualify for this, not only do you need to order something from Manscaped, but we also need you to go all out. And by going all out, what we mean is before and after photos. We need legit <laughs> oh, no. proof that you've not only purchased the item, but that you've also used the item. We want to see how we've been able to help and enrich your life, both us and our friends over at manscaped.com. So you uh, purchase the item, you use our code, social suplex, or what's the code? It's suplex? Suplex. You use our code suplex, you get your 20% off, you get the free shipping, you get the pay-per-view, and you get to send us your before and after photos, and we will thank you for that. You can send those photos over to Caleb Baldwin on the uh, <laughs> Social Suplex Podcast Network on Twitter. I believe it's um, at I am Caleb B. You can go ahead and oh uh, my God. <laughs> send your. Uh, I feel like I feel like you're doxing Caleb right now, <laughs> guys. I was just joking. Do not. We do not need uh, before and after photos. Do but we not. Do need you to go ahead. <laughs> and the Rock but means do, need- do not. <laughs> But we do need you to go ahead and use that code. And trust me, this is like one of the – I don't want to say life-changing because it sounds too crazy. But like literally it is life-changing. It's an incredible product and it's an incredible deal. And we're hooking you up better than anybody else out there on the internet. So go ahead and do that and we will hook you up with probably one of the best wrestling shows of the year. Yep. So just use our code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. You get 20% off and free shipping. That's the code SUPLEX, S-U-P-L-E-X, at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping. Email us your proof of purchase to social suplex at gmail.com and you will get all out courtesy of Social Suplex Podcast Network if you are one of the next four people to uh, send us that proof of purchase. So, Jeremy, this is now the time in the show where we have to bury the King of Pro Wrestling st- stipulations that have been determined by you, the wrestling audience and fans who voted. Yes, so... The results are in from the fan voting of KOPW. So you got it out there and you rocked the vote. Yes, you you smacked down your vote. You you, you, you voted or died. Yes, you you made your voices heard. Um, you know, one of the most important uh, votings that you you'll do this year. This is your right as a citizen of the IWGP. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, starting off, you know, we had the Kajusuke Okada, Yujiro Takahashi poll. And so the fans chose Okada stipulation. It was 56% to 44%. So Okada will face Yujiro Takahashi, Gato, and Jado in a three-on-one handicap match. Do you want to know the, the interesting thing about this particular stipulation? What? This, this is the one... Voting uh, margin. I read about this online, where the uh, there was an actual discrepancy between the U.S. voting audience and the Japanese voting audience. Like the U.S. voting audience actually voted 
overwhelmingly for the Lumberjack strap match as the winner, but the overall vote, especially the domestic ones in Japan, out outdid those votes and got this topped so that Okada stipulation would actually be the winner. And this is the one out of the three that you were allowed to vote on where there's discrepancy between the North American and the Japanese audiences. Right. It, it, it kind of makes sense because, you know, the Japanese, they love Okada. They're, they're, he's a baby face. Oh, you mean we don't love Okada? I'm just saying, he's a baby face. Like, North why? America ain't got love for Okada. <laughs> you know, quote unquote, you know, in kayfabe, why would you, you know, vote for the heel stipulation? And, you know, why would you potentially want to see Okada get, you know, whipped by another belt? I guess it's the thinking there. Bro, why would you want to see Okada in a three-on-one situation? You know, th- that's something that we didn't really talk too much about. That The more I've been thinking about it, it doesn't – a lot of these stipulations just don't make sense. Why would Okada voluntarily offer to be put in a three-on-one situation? You know, like – Well, the logic, that doesn't, the logic there is Gato and Jado get involved in all the matches anyway – he has to fight them off anyway, so why not have them as legal participants in the match instead of having to no, fight off guys on the outside? That doesn't make sense. What would make sense is they get involved anyways, so you and I are going to have a cage match and blow off our shit. Or they get involved anyways, so we're going to put them in a cage suspended above the ring while you and I fight. Does that? That's what really makes sense. What doesn't make sense is oh, I want to be at a disadvantage. They're going to be involved anyway, so let's just give them free reign to be involved in the match, and now I'm at a 3-1 disadvantage. Baby faces don't do that. Like, that doesn't make sense. But, I mean, is he really going to be at a disadvantage? Yeah. Bro, this is going to be the worst match of the year. <laughs> yeah, this is going it to be. Absolutely, it absolutely is. They're, like, uh, this is going to be worse than anything Okada did with Ghetto or Jado or... Yujiro or any combination of them in tags this year, like because it's. I know that we were still going to get interactions with him and them, regardless of the stip. But at least with the whipping, and the lumberjacks, it kind of made sense. Because, I don't know if you, okay. Let's think about this. Here's here's something that makes sense. You know, in other territories, the lumber. Have you ever thought about why they call it a lumberjack match? No, I never really thought about it. Okay, it doesn't really I, – I really – I've tried to look it up, and I can't actually find legit reasons why it's called that. I think it's more of like a Canadian slash like Northwestern American sort of thing. You know, like they're big burly lumberjacks. But uh, in some companies back in the day, the lumberjack match used to be called the human cage match. Because the idea is very keep similar to a cage. Yeah. Keep the keep the action inside. You can't go outside. These should have been flip-flopped. It should have been Yujiro being like, I want three-on-one because I'm a heel and I want the advantage. And Okada being like, no, nah, that's fucked up. You know what I'd rather have? A human cage match so I can keep you inside the ring and everyone else on the outside. These, This is illogical. Yeah, and now we're going to be forced to see Okada wrestle not just Yujiro, but also Jado and Gato. See, I don't even, I can't even really go in depth with that because we already covered that the past few weeks, and anyone with a brain knows that that's not going to be good. So, I mean, it's going to suck. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's the deal. We kind of knew that. We've already buried it. But now, my my real thinking is, why the fuck did they allow 
Okada and Yujiro to come up with these particular stipulations. Like they don't make sense from a character standpoint or from a kayfabe or logic standpoint. And now that we're getting it, it's like Okada looks like an idiot for having suggested this. So now not only is the match going to be bad, but also it doesn't make sense from any sort of real good character logic. Yeah. It's and, a- it, and, and anyone who's trying to ex- like Meltzer explain to me why the logic of this makes sense, they're just wrong because I just refuted that logic by giving you superior logical ideas for what a baby face in this situation should traditionally be saying. You know, all, all these people remember they used to say like, you know, you know, don't let Kenny get creative control, give him the book. Cause he gets, oh. he, he, he gets too, he gets too wacky. He needs to be restrained. He needs somebody to tell him what to do. Well, honestly, it looks like it's the same thing for Kazuchika Okada. Like do not give him the book. He does not need creative control. He needs to come up there and shut up and do what Gato tells him to do and not come up with any ideas. Um, and that's one of the things here is like I think I alluded to this last week, but the more I think about it, I think that given how wacky and nonsensical and illogical the actual stipulations have been that were suggested and then voted on, it doesn't seem like Gato booked this. He may have quote unquote collaborated on the overall concept of what the tournament is but there's no way gato said okay okada you're doing three on one yujiro you're doing (laughs) uh lumberjack match with straps uh and then and then we'll get into the other ones like there's no way he did that this is they let these guys for shoot legit pick their own shit which is like guys it's pro wrestling it's a work (laughs) (laughs) like they should have done that so I don't know. It's uh, it's fucking weird. Actually, you know what? You you touched on a really touchy subject. You brought up uh, the forbidden word, the forbidden name, Kenny Omega. And this is something that I said to Rich a few weeks ago that I didn't say on the show because, to be honest, I was planning to say it. Um, did I tell you my Kenny Omega theory or no? Uh, I don't think you did. Okay, so I haven't even told you. But me, me and Rich were kind of talking about this particular concept. We were also talking about some of the other – you know, major things have been happening in New Japan. And I was like kind of complaining about how many diehard New Japan fans are defending a lot of the things that we've been critical of, you know? And I, I said something to Rich that Rich like died over. And I was like, you know what people need to do? They need to stop. And before they defend any of these things, ask themselves. And this is the new litmus test. And I wish I would have came up with this bit, say four weeks ago, but I'm doing it now. And it's funny that you just said what you said because it's kind of along the exact same lines. The new litmus test is before you decide if something is good, something that might be off the wall before you give it a chance, ask yourself, how would I have felt about this had Kenny suggested it? Mm. Because I guarantee you that if Kenny had suggested any of these crazy, weird, sweeping changes that have been going on in New Japan, he would be getting buried the fuck off and – all these different things would be getting shit on so hard by people that didn't like him and thought he was westernizing the shit and everything that you just said. Dude, if Kenny Omega's like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to have a tournament. <laughs> Kenny Omega PW. The, the Kenny Omega Pro Wrestling Tournament. The KOPW <laughs> Tournament. And uh, it's going to be nothing but stipulation matches that we pick and then the fans vote on. And then at the end of it, it's going to be a four-way. But then at the end of it, the person's going to get – uh, no title, but then they're going to keep defending it. And then at the end of the year, they're going to get a trophy. And then it's going to reset each year. And then we're going to keep doing it over and over again. How's that sound? Bro, people would have lost their fucking 
minds if Dude, Kenny Omega ever said that. People lost their minds over the ladder match of Elgin. People lost their minds over the triple threat with Cody and Abushi. They lost their minds over the, the match that he had with Cody in San Francisco. Yes, and I will tell you right now, there were things I didn't like. I, I don't totally disagree with all that stuff. You know, I'm kind of middle of the road here. Like, I, I love Kenny Omega, but I didn't love everything he did, and I didn't love everything he said on the mic and outside of the ring and everything like that. But I will tell you this. None of Kenny's ideas that he implemented were ever worse than this. And people want to go to bat for it, and they're all excited for it, but now we got to watch it. <laughs> right. And you guys got to eat your medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got to eat your medicine and watch this shit along with us. And I'm telling you, like, people that were like, oh, you know, it's just give it a chance. It's something different. It's going to break up the blah, blah, blah. We, we, already, we already went in depth with all this stuff in the past. But, yeah, that's, that's something I just want to bring up, you know. Yeah, so let's move on to the next uh, stipulation here. So uh, Toriano and Bushi will square off in the two-count pinfall match, which was Yano's stipulation. You know, Bushi had pro- proposed the five-count countout match, and so Yano's suggestion won 57.2% to 42.8%. Again, this is – and you know what? I'll tell you what. These stipulations actually go along with the little – undercurrent mini few that these two have had uh, over the past few months but the stipulations should have been reversed it makes no sense for bushi to propose a five count uh count out match he's not the guy that gets people counted out yano is you know right and that doesn't make sense bushi is the junior who's gonna have a much tougher time pinning yano so Bush and, you know, juniors easily get two counts in pinfalls, but not three counts. The advantage would have gone to Bushi had they done a two count match. Right. Uh, or at least or at least the semblance of one with Yano, who is a master of getting people counted out. He should have proposed the five count out count out match. But instead, they did it backwards and it doesn't fit either of their characters. That's my only real complaint. I, I'm fine with this, though. Yeah, you know, if Bushi was going to do some kind of count-out stipulation, he should have done no count-out, because that way... Oh, yeah. Yano could have tied him up, and Yano would have, you know, gone to the ring until the ref started counting. The ref would have been like, uh, no, I'm not counting. There's no count-outs. Like, you have to pin him. Here's the, the other thing, too, is both of these guys have pin, pinned each other in the past, you know? Right. So, I know it's kind of stepping on the toes of, say, uh, freaking Sho and Sonata, but... Since they both pinned one another, what if – I don't know. They're both tricksters, but what if one of them had said no pinfalls? Mm. You know? Right. That, that could have been the option or something. Um, but yeah, one of them should have been able to say no countouts. You know? That that would have made sense too. I think everything that we suggested makes more sense than what they actually ended up suggesting, which shows me that like I don't even know if the wrestlers totally got the concept of what this is. Dude, you know, I, I don't think they did either. Let's talk about the next one. Uh, with you know, what, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like when – I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like you're a little kid and you like want to play a game with other kids and you came up with the rules yourself. And now they're coming over to play and you've only explained it to them once. You're like, all right, now let's play. And they're trying to do it and you're like, no, no, no. You guys don't get it. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that's what happened here. Okada came up with all the rules and it was like his master plan. But then like the day of the press conference, it's like, all right, guys, here's what you got to do. And then they're like – the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at the next one. And that goes to what exactly you're saying. 
So the next one was Desperado and Kojima. So Desperado stipulation won 68.5% to 31.5%. And so it's going to be no finishers allowed, meaning Desperado's Pinche Loco will be banned and Kojima's Lariat will be banned. And this was Desperado stipulation. But the whole buildup on the Summer Struggle shows was Desperado saying that he wanted finishers only because Kojima's Lariat sucks and that he's a knockoff Stan Hansen. And that the lariat won't work. And so that's why he wanted, he literally said he wanted finishers only in the post-match promos. Right. And I said the same thing last week. I don't, you know, the honest truth was I didn't, I knew we were going to talk about this more this week. So I didn't want to do a whole elaborate, like in-depth conversation about it just yet. But I was confused about that. I was like, you know, this guy was completely and clearly building to the concept that, uh, we would be seeing a finishers only match based on his comments, based on, you know, uh, all his promos. And then the day of, from what I understand, I didn't watch the actual, um, what's it called? The press actual conference. press conference. But once I heard what happened, it makes more sense. Apparently from the way it was explained to me was that Desperado was like, we're doing finishers only. And then, like, Kojima's like, I want finishers only. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, Kojima didn't understand it. So then, on the fly, Desperado, who did understand it, like, had to change his mind and be like, all right, well, then I want no finishers. But it totally nullified the work, the good work he had been trying to do to build up, you know, this little feud within just a couple weeks to build for this whole thing. Right. So Kojima should have been the one that's like, no finishers. I'm going to prove to you I can beat you up without the lariat. I don't even know why. I mean, the the reality is they were both focusing on finishers because they had no real angle because this whole tournament was hot shotted on short notice. And these two guys never worked together in any meaningful way and had no history and had no actual angle. And Desperado was trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. That's what really happened. I mean, I don't even know if I think that the finisher angle really works in any serious context, but at least – Desperado was trying to create something. And then, like, you know, Kojima's an old head. Like, you know, these <laughs> <laughs> these veterans who aren't going to be winning in this shit <laughs> and know it doesn't mean anything. Do you think that they, like, have been racking their minds, preparing and being like, all right, you know, what am I really good at? Uh, God, lariats. You know it would be good uh, if I could keep the guy close enough to me to hit a strong lariat. We're doing a Texas bull rope match. No, he didn't like do any thought like that. He showed up the day of and he's like, uh, I don't know, finishers. I'll, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> I'll have what he's having. <laughs> and, and you know what's weird is like the funny thing is like uh, we'll talk about it here in a second, but Sean Sonata did the same thing, but like no one corrected them. So they just let them have the same stipulation. At least Desperado was like. That that would have really fucked it up if Desperado didn't change it on the fly. Right. And no. then, like, <laughs> there's no voting for either of these matches. And that's another thing is, like, you know, no one necessarily said that two guys couldn't pick the same stipulation. That probably – that's, like, kind of an oversight. That should have been a rule in the hypothetical super convoluted rules that they came up with. They should have been able to say you can pick any stipulation you want, but you can't have the same stipulation. They should have forced the guys to have a vote, you know? Right. But then, and the hard thing is like, all right, all right, if two guys want the same one, then who gets to pick the one they want? I don't know. Whoever's the A side. 
the guy the guy who gets paid more and who's more popular. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you mentioned you know with Show and Sonata, there was no fan voting because Show, like like this Rado, the whole tournament, the whole tour, he's building up this submission thing. He's been winning with submissions, putting over the fact that you know he he lost Sonata the first time by the skull in, and he wants to you know he wants to prove that he can tap Sonata out. So he did this whole great build on why he should get a submission match and for picking submission match. And then Sonata was just like, sure, that sounds good. Yeah, well, well, I want submission too. But he didn't – what was his thing? He didn't really say no or submissions. He said no no pinfalls. Yeah, he's like no pinfalls. So, like, he got by on a technicality almost. Like, um, I know some people were saying, like, oh, he wasn't paying attention and maybe he – you know, he did what you said, just like, I'll have what he's having. But part of me thinks that's a possibility, but part of me thinks like he just really wanted that match regardless. So he was actually intelligent about it. And he's like, you know what, how we'll get around it. No pinfalls. Cause wink, wink. It's kind of the same thing. It'd be like, if you're like, I want a falls count anywhere match. And then I was like, you know what I want? A street fight. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same, but kind of the same. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and so nobody got to vote for that one so that also kind of like undid the entire purpose of one of the the cool interesting you know aspects of this thing oh it's different because the fans are gonna have a say we're gonna interact and then uh sonata was like not nah. not today <laughs> <laughs> y'all, y'all mark so, y'all marks ain't picking my match <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we have coming up. Those are the stipulations. Those are the ones that went out. Here's my final thoughts, I guess, on some of this. I'm not excited for any of those stipulations. I'm not excited for... <sighs> I think I might be excited somewhat for Kojima and Desperado in theory. But not really. Like, I actually think the way that this built and the actual stipulations hampered my excitement for just the idea of those two guys going at it. <laughs> right. Like, I think they'll have, and, a, have a fine match. But, yeah, the build kind of got ruined. But when I look at who's involved in this, is there any, any way that anybody other than Okada even has slightly a fighting chance at winning this shit? Uh, I mean, I'd be very surprised if anybody won this provisional title besides Okada. Okay, all all booking aside, all logic aside, book to me right now the top four-way match that you think would be really, really good at Jingu Stadium. Just trying to base it off of like what would get the most like the best match quality? Yeah, you're 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 a stars rating mark. Give me what could hypothetically on paper produce like the most exciting. Like you know, star ratings match that you could possibly envision out of this. And then once you do that, tell me what you think the realistic outcome of a four-way match. Keep in mind, I don't think that there has ever been a – oh, there has. There was that one junior four-way at Wrestle Kingdom. But there's hardly ever been four ways in New Japan. This might be like the second one ever. Like how good is a four-way between these guys going to actually be? Like what is your – Give me your most exciting matchup and then tell me what kind of expectation you have for star ratings wise, realistically. Okay, so if I was booking this and I was trying to get the highest star rating possible, the highest work rate match possible. Work rate match possible. I would also I'd go Okada over Yujiro. 
I would go show over Sonata. I'd go Despy over Kojima. And then I'd probably I guess I guess Yano over Bushi. They kinda have I would, honestly I'd go Bushi, but I would do the same thing as you. I would have three juniors against Okada. And you know why? Why? Because because as much as I enjoy the work of Sonata and you know, I'm entertained by Yano and as much of a legend I think Kojima is, um, I just don't see any of them like putting in a really strong, great, compelling performance against Okada on that night. But I know that those three juniors will at least bust their ass. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, Show's going to go out there and kill it. Despy's going to try and kill it. And I, the one that I picked Yano is just because, you know, you have somebody there who's doing you know, quick pinfalls and, you know. Yeah, and and – yeah, but at the same time, he's also going to do some of those tropey comedy spots that you that people either hate or love, you know? Right, yeah. So, I mean, I don't – but then at the end of the day, okay, like what is your realistic expectation for – and I know starting exists in everything, but it is something for how good this tournament could potentially be. How good could that match really realistically be? So if we if it was Okada versus Show versus Despy versus Bushi? Yeah. I mean – if they're working, it's a, it's a, a fatal four way. That's good. I mean, I would say four stars probably. Four stars max. Yeah, and we're talking everything going perfect, as good as it possibly could be. Like, and that would be your best case scenario, and that would be not a bad thing necessarily. But that would be a, a four star match, in spite of every negative involved with this entire terrible project. You know. Right. But but I think what's more realistic is we're gonna end up with like something that's sub three and a half. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, why are we spending all this time on this shit? Why this is the best thing we could have found for Okada in this time? Like, yeah, you know, I don't I don't get this. Yeah, it's it's really weird. And you know, I know that people think we're da- being negative, being down on it, and like writing it off, but. They're just proving every every concern we had right the more that this plays out. I mean, we'll see how the matches go, but the the longer this this has gone on, the more I feel like we've been vindicated in our initial knee-jerk reactions to this. Yeah. Uh, I did have two questions here from uh, Ken from D.C. He says, do you think the stipulation of no finisher helps or hurts Desperado's chances going into his KOPW match against Kojima. I know Kojima's up there in years, and he already put over at least one junior in a singles match, Shingo Takagi. However, we all know that Takagi subsequently moved up to heavyweight, and more importantly, Despy is not in Shingo's league. How do you see this match playing out? <laughs> uh, I don't. I wouldn't say that, that Despy's not in... Uh... Oh, what did he say? Despy's not in Shingo's league? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um... There is an argument that the no finishers could actually help him because when juniors typically beat a heavyweight, it's usually going to happen unless they're really, really, really putting that junior over strong. It's usually going to happen off a roll-up. And if the biggest weapon of Kojima is his Western Lariat, you got to figure that that increases the survival rates and creates more opportunities for a pinfall opportunity for Desperado. That's just my thinking. I mean, am I wrong in that, or what do you think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think no finishers is going to help 
I think Desperate's going to win this. I think it's going to be uh, some kind of low blow, roll up kind of situation. And, or you know what? Even ref goes down. He ends up hitting Pinche Loco and, you know, pins Kojima and the ref wakes up and makes a count. He's going to cheat somehow and utilize not being able to hit with the Lariat to get the win. Yeah. So Kevin from DC, his second question, he says, another KLBW match sees Toriano take on Bushi in a two count pinfall match. Now, my first thought was this was going to take an already short, terrible Yano match and make it even shorter and more terrible. Something else came up that I hadn't known about or considered. On a recent Wrestling Observer Radio, Uncle Dave talked about how Joshi Wrestling in the 90, 1990s, including all Japan women, were often used as stipulation to bring levels of drama and excitement to near stratospheric levels. Since the women had the abilities and stamina to work this style, the matches were frequently awesome. So with that said, do either of you have any experience watching matches of this style before, or do you give Bushi a chance to avoid defeat? Uh, yeah, you know... Um... I would say I think between the two of us, I have more experience watching classic Joshi than, say, Jeremy does. But um, I wouldn't in any way consider myself an expert in that regard, honestly. Um, so I can't say I've ever seen any sort of two-count pinfall matches with, with any of the ladies of you know, uh, AJW or anything like that. But I can see on paper how this might be exciting. I mean, you can create – I mean – Either situation, I think, is actually not a terrible stip. Uh, as we said earlier, I didn't bury the stipulations. I buried the logic of who suggested them. But, I mean, you know, a five count is a pretty short ring out, and a two count obviously is something that happens a million times in a match. So it does create the, the propensity for there to be a very short, exciting, fun match. And given the fact that it's two tricksters like Yano and um, – Bushi, it actually gives an out to whoever the loser is because the stipulation is kind of making it easier for whoever's going to win. And I don't think it's going to be a terrible match. I think it's not going to be a great match, but it will probably be a funny match. <laughs> right. Yeah, it probably will end up being pretty funny. Um, yeah, I don't have much experience uh, seeing a two-count pinfall match, but I, I've heard about them. I heard they can be awesome. And obviously... It builds that drama up because, you know, you're, you're waiting for the near fall normally on two, but now it's only one. And so literally people are coming out at one a lot and just you get hit with a big move. And it's like, oh, normally you would, you know, you'd wait till two. And then, but now it's one. And so it adds that extra layer of drama. There are going to be people who love this. You know, every year there's those people who uh, swear to God that like Toriano had the greatest like <laughs> G1 match ever. You know, and it's not, but people enjoy his shtick. A lot of people don't. It just depends on your taste. Um, I like it, but I don't love it. You know, I think Jeremy does too, but uh, I don't know. What's the deal with high speed matches? I, I always hear you guys talking about high speed over in stardom. I know I've seen a couple because it's what, like Starlet Kid. Starlet Kid is like the big star in that division, right? Where she was. Yeah, uh, I believe Azumi is the current uh, star, the high speed champion right now. She just won so, it off of uh, Riho. So what is it? It's like a 10 minute match, right? Yeah, I believe it, it's ten minute time limit. So I mean, that's kind of in a certain sense, almost feels like a spiritual similar successor to the idea of like a two pinfall count match. You know, something that's very fast, and you know, I could see that being good. I just don't think these guys will have. I think it's gonna be pretty much a comedy match. Right now, you know, if, if as far as you know, work rate match. I think if you had like two juniors, like if you had like 
Hiromu and Ishimori in here doing a two count pinfall. Like I think that would be like a really compelling, really entertaining, really fast paced, and kind of like a high speed match that you would see. End of the day, Bushi has pinned Yano this year. He's also pinned um, Zack Saber Jr. So he's pinned two heavyweights with three count matches. So I think he has all the ability in the world to get a two count over Yano. But Yano is the master of the, you know dick punch and low blow and roll up so anything's possible here yeah so the winners of those matches will be facing off in a fatal four-way at summer struggle in jingu so now let's take a look at that card and uh, do a little preview and predictions for that so uh starting at the the beginning of the card here we have before you start i just want to say my preview and predict prediction is right now we got six matches announced given how every single match has a story, has stakes, and has a you know a build and a background, and it's going to be in the front of the largest audience that we've had since February, in the middle of the pandemic, in a historic field like Jingu Stadium, outdoors, the ambiance, the atmosphere. Uh, this is the second biggest New Japan show of the year, and probably will remain that way throughout the whole year, and if they play their cards right, we could be looking at a literal show of the year contender. Yeah, from top to bottom, I think this is a pretty good card on paper, and I'm actually pretty excited uh, for this show overall. Um, so, show's going to be kicking off with the heel master, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, taking on the grand master, Master Wato. So, we know Wato made his big debut. He defeated um, Doki from Suzuki-Goon, and then Kanemaru jumped him, and then this whole build and summer struggle, we've had uh, Wato and Kanemaru feuding. Interesting fact here. Um, this will be one of the very few true junior-style matches we've had this entire year with New Japan, especially in Japan proper. So um, this kind of has that going for it. Uh, I'm hoping that this will play out better than the Doki Wato match. Not that that was bad in any way, but that was more of a showcase match for Wato. Um, but because it's on first, it feels like it has all the uh, potential in the world to simply be another showcase match for master Wato in trying to get him over. Yeah, I definitely kind of have that feeling, you know, typically these cards would open with some kind of, you know, young lion match or young lions against veterans kind of match up here. And so, definitely feel like this match might be kind of paced like that and where Wato is going to be, you know, like you mentioned, they're trying to get Wato over right now. And so I could see this being not very long and Wato just kind of hitting his greatest hits and taking out Kanemaru. Well, let's hope he hits them properly because there's been some mishaps and some miscues. Um, You know, I, I think we're both impressed with Wato, but I'd like to see him be a little safer in the ring and more crisp and, and accurate in what he's doing. But uh, Kanemaru is one of the great pros of the junior division. You know, he, he doesn't get enough credit for how good he actually is. He might not be the most exciting guy anymore, but I mean, um, to take a, you know, to be a vet and carry a, uh, you know, pretty fresh guy, fresh off excursion like Watto to a pretty good match. Um, I think Kanemaru is definitely the, the right guy to do that. He's up to the task. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, I think overall it should be a very fun opener, good way to kick off the card and uh, get uh, Wato over here. 
and I think that match would be pretty good. I'm going to ride with you. I think Watto gets the big win there. Um, if he doesn't, for some reason, I think that leads to further matches between him and um, uh, the freaking Suzuki goon. Um, and, but, you know, at this point, he's gone through Doki. Next is Kanemaru. Something kind of tells me we there's a good chance that we might end up with Watto against Desperado after this. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, he's kind of working his way up the, the juniors of Suzuki Uh Another interesting thought, just before we move on, you know, we don't really know the status of the junior titles. Obviously, it's going to be... I mean, Yo is not coming back anytime soon, so they're kind of just waiting until the time frame runs out before they actually strip Sho and Yo of the titles. And there is a chance... I'm going to make my first prediction here. Wato wins, leads to some sort of post-match beatdown and uh, situation with Kanemaru and Desperado. And then maybe we get some other junior that's out there. I mean, can you think of someone who could come to Wato's aid from maybe, say, Taguchi? And then that leads to your top two teams to potentially vie for the junior uh, title down the road. Yeah, that could work. You know, we've seen you know Tenzon kind of take Watto under his wing, and Tenzon offs, often teams with uh, Taguchi. So yeah, I could see yeah Tenzon kind of bringing Taguchi into the fold and kind of having him come out to help Watto. Also, we haven't seen Tiger Mask in a while. Maybe he could uh, make a reappearance. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he could also do that. But yeah, I'm thinking um, if we don't get Watto and and uh, Despy next, then my next logical and this is just wild speculation but they got to do something with that junior title fairly soon so i think that this might be the way that they set that up right just my opinion yeah definitely you definitely could do that so next uh, match of the night we have the much anticipated new japan pro wrestling king of pro wrestling provisional lineal title with no (laughs) belt tournament final four-way match Yeah, we kind of already talked about the stipulations and the matches, and I mean, there's not really much to preview here. Like Okada's winning this. Like, <laughs> my my biggest thing is like Okada would. Ne- there's no one in this tournament. Literally, at in 2020, there's not a single person in this tournament that Okada would ever actually, f- except for Sonata. I should take that back. Aside from Sonata, there is nobody in this tournament that uh, Okada would actually face in any sort of major title match. So, and he's beaten Sonata so many times at this point. What does this really do for the guy if he wins it? And I think he is for sure winning it unless what if the curveball is something weird happens and Sonata wins it and it sets up a chase for Okada given their track record and history. Ugh. Yeah, I'm I'm not into that. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm into it. I'm just throwing out situations because I mean, if the guy wins it, then then what? What's next? I guess they they'll set it up on the next tour. But uh, yeah, yeah. Then you have somebody challenge and bring their stipulation and say, hey, so what? I, I want to challenge Okada in a you know eye versus eye match or whatever. So I think, I mean, okay, let's give our final prediction. So Okada is definitely going to be in this tournament. Um, but I think all the other matches are really 50-50 matches. So I, I think Sonata's a lock. Um, uh, but I, I think Desperado's winning. 
for me, Bushi and Yano's the, the one that's truly 50-50 up in the air. Like any either one of those guys could get in. Either one of those guys could get in, and that I think Yano winning makes the most sense. So you end up with Despi, Yano, Sonata, and Okada, and I think that that's probably what we'll get. Right. And so from those four, it, it's either going to be okay, – I, I would think it would be Okada, Sonata, or you make this title totally goofy and Yano wins it, and it, it's Yano's kind of oh. funny thing that he does the, the rest of the year, and he does Then this. it's really DDT. Then it's the 24-7 title, and you can throw this shit in the – garbage fire bin because it's a garbage dumpster fire right I, I, dude i could totally see like yano with this thing and he's doing these oh. goofy like <laughs> gimmick matches every month oh my god um yeah that that hurt my heart to hear that <laughs> i would love i would actually like this match if it was an elimination match because mm. i always find four ways to be more compelling when it's elimination style i don't really like the four-way where one guy picks up the win and then it's out for everybody you like the four-way dance i like the four-way dance from ecw yeah bro i mean think about like i know it's a three-way dance but remember that time when taz after his like dominant reign he got fucked up by masato tanaka and mike awesome and he was out within minutes and it was like oh shit (laughs) That, that stuff is cool man yeah Oh man, can you imagine if like everyone ganged up on Okada and they just fucked him up and he was gone, eliminated, <laughs> right at, eliminated right out the gate, and they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, here's another thing that we didn't bring up, and it's uh, important we mention this live English uh, commentary on the show. Yeah, I had that in the news, but I probably should have put it up on this section. But yeah, so yeah, it'd make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, live English commentary, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. Uh, Chris said they have the technology, so it sounds like they're going to be doing something similar to what uh, WWE has been doing with NXT commentary with uh, Morrow and Beth being uh, via satellite where you have um, Vic Joseph or Todd, uh, Todd Phillips being the guy that's actually in the building. So we're going to be doing a little, mm. little of that action there. Nice. So, um, yep, I think that that's pretty much our prediction of who's going to be in the match. We both pretty much think Okada's winning, and I'm I'm thinking we're going to see a, a nice little three-and-a-half star, maybe less than that performance. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> moving on, this matchup should be excellent. It's for Everything the- else on this card looks excellent, by the way. We, let's, just give, let's just give that disclaimer before we say anything else. Yeah. So the next matchup is a match that we've been waiting for for quite some time now. It's for the never open weight title. It is the Dragon Shingo Takagi defending the championship against the King Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, and you know what? It's probably also for the mythical, hypothetical Carl Gra- Carl, Carl Gotch Strong Style Wrestler of the Year award because right now these are two of my top leaders in new japan for the most violent wrestler of the year and they're going head to head in a elimination match that the iwgp consulted us on we're like yeah these are the two top carl gotch guys you need to have them face off so we can get some real (laughs) answers here yes the iwgp they care dearly about the keeping a strong side year end awards (laughs) they do (laughs) um yeah man since shingo's been here we've talked about hypothetical matches that we've wanted to see and the one that has come up i mean last year at wrestle kingdom season everyone was just clamoring for the idea of a shingo suzuki match and it didn't happen 
not that they promised it, but it's just something people were hoping for. And now we're finally getting it. Uh, what a better way to get it than for a title that is meaningful. Uh, dare I say probably the best booked title of the year in New Japan. Am I wrong in that in saying that? Probably. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, Shingo's had fantastic defenses, fantastic matches. Uh, it's the number two singles title in the company at this given time, just given the, you know, how everything's kind of panned out. And Suzuki is someone who is synonymous with that belt, having a, been a former champion himself, someone who is synonymous with the style. They've had a great build, hate filled. Never, these guys have never wrestled before ever in singles anywhere, which is shocking given their freelance statuses prior to being in new Japan. And, um, they're just two masters. Like this is my most anticipated match of the night. Uh, I think that it's got whether, whatever the, the quality of the match ends up being, it's got a violent war written all over it. And I cannot wait to see these two guys wrestle. Yeah, man, this thing is going to be wild. It's going to be a brawl. These guys want to go at each other's throats. Um, it should definitely, it should end up being a strong style match of the year candidate. It should definitely help both of these guys in their strong style uh, wrestle of the year. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a great matchup. I'm really looking forward to this. I think, for me, I, I know there's a lot of matches that could potentially be the match of the night, but I think that Shingo Suzuki, you're going to steal a show, and this is going to end up being the match of the night. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the one part of me that thinks that maybe this won't steal, quote-unquote, the show and I could be wrong here. It's just my one apprehension is that G1 season is around the corner. We typically see quite a few rematches of previous big matches uh, that during the year. And so it's a first time meeting between two guys and they're going to have subsequent meetings probably for sure. So that might mean that they still have a really great match, but there is a chance that they leave some stuff on the table. Yeah. As is often the case. Yeah, that could definitely happen. But with these two guys, even if they do leave some stuff off, off the table, I still think it's going to end up being a great matchup. I agree. And uh, I cannot wait to see it. Uh, you know, Suzuki's, I mean, a lot of people aren't really talking about Suzuki as a wrestler of the year or anything of that nature. But when you start thinking about his resume, I mean, the matches with Mox, the matches with Nagata, now the matches with, uh, you know, um, Shingo plus a G1 is coming up. He could be like a little bit of like a sleeper wrestler of the year candidate yeah, this year. Dark horse, yeah. Yeah, he's a little dark horse out there. So um, I can't wait to see this, man. And um, I think Minoru Suzuki's beating Shingo Takagi. Dude, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Oh, really? I yes. thought I was being I thought I was being counter like culture and like being the the brave guy here. Because <laughs> you know we mentioned it a little bit last week, but it's the never title. Even though it has been booked well this year, the Never title usually does flop hands um, back and forth like a hot potato very often. It's a title that Suzuki's held before that you know he's kind of helped elevate. And I could see Suzuki defeating Shingo and holding this title again. You give Shing uh, Suzuki something to do. And then from there, like you mentioned, you could have these guys face off again in the G1. And with the Never title off of... Um, Shingo, you could then potentially elevate Shingo to maybe go after the, the double titles. Yeah, I think that that's something that people are really counting on. I don't know that I'm counting on that, it, it, to be honest with you. I don't know that I feel that way. Um, but we're 
with the fact that the G1 is so late in the year and Wrestle Kingdom isn't too far off, I mean, we're already in August and, you know, it's in January. Whoever wins this match and is saddled with that belt is kind of in a no-win situation if, hypothetically, they were anticipating going for any other higher titles or any higher-level prospects, you know? Because once you're in the G1, you can't defend your belt. You're saddled with the belt. Then you've just got a few months and... They're probably not going to keep. They're probably not going to put you in a position to challenge for another title and keep that belt on you. So you're kind of in that division. You're probably going to fight someone for that title. You're kind of stuck in that role. And if hypothetically you lose the belt at that point, well, you're definitely not getting a, a you know a higher opportunity. You know, right? So I think for Shingo, it's a more quote unquote compelling story for him to go into the G1 title list than it is to go in with the title. I don't think that means he's for sure going to be like going for the double titles or getting a main event spot in Wrestle Kingdom. Although those are now, if he loses potential possibilities that are on the table once he goes into the G one, which is exciting, you know? Right. And I know down the line, we are going to have, you know, our, our official G one, you know, climax preview show and go over all of the blocks and participants and who we think is going to win like we do every year. But my way too early G1 climax winner prediction is Shingo Tatagi right now. Hey, it's not a bad pick. I don't know that I feel that way just yet, but it's not a bad pick. But uh, I don't see that happening if he has the never belt. Right. That's why I said way too early and right now, because if he ends up retaining, then he's not winning G1. That's not really – honestly, that's not even really – I laid all that logic out because I know that's what people are thinking and sort of along the lines of what you're thinking. It all makes sense. My reason for thinking Suzuki's going to beat him is because I think that they're probably going to have a series of matches. Uh, I think personally Shingo will have the belt back by Wrestle Kingdom time. Mm. You're, seeing, you're just, seeing kind of like a Goto-Suzuki rivalry kind of coming here? Goto Suzuki, similar to that. I think that this could be similar to like Nakamura Goto when Nakamura like lost the IC belt just before the G1 and then regained it after the G1. Maybe something similar to that. That's just my thinking. Um, I think it'd be exciting to have Shingo go into the G1 titleless for sure. But ultimately, I think he's not totally done in the Never Division just yet because I don't think they're ready to split those belts yet. I think that if. Uh, Let's say if there had been an icy belt for him to go after, then sure. But I don't know he's going to be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom this year. Yeah, I mean, he might not. Um, Maybe he will. I don't know. Right. I mean, he definitely has that uh, capability to do to main event a Wrestle Kingdom. So he's definitely an interesting he, choice. Um, and, you know, this year, because uh, they're going to have to outdo last year, they're going to have to do three nights of Tokyo Dome. So is he going to be ready for three main events? I don't know. <laughs> but uh yeah i can't wait for this match and uh yeah i think we we both got suzuki taking it so we'll see if we're right on that yeah take us to the next match oh i was waiting for you i was trying to prefer you i'll Uh, I'll do it well i I did (laughs) i I threw into the shingo match i didn't know we were going in any particular order (laughs) (laughs) the fourth match of the night the iwgp junior heavyweight title match uh the champion the ticking time bomb hiromu takahashi defends the title against the bone soldier taiji ishimori Yes, the uh, epic rematch from the best of the Super Junior a couple of years ago that was, we mentioned, one of the uh, best matches of that year, one of the best junior matches in the history of the company, history of the tournament. 
Um, you know, I don't feel that way about that match, right? Okay, so Josh doesn't feel that way, but literally everybody else does. Um, everybody does not feel that way because I don't feel that way. <laughs> I said everybody else. <laughs> everybody else doesn't feel that way because I've got good takes, ratings, and opinions, and I'm sure other people <laughs> agree with me. I'm, I'm sure they do. Um, regardless, this was, this was a great matchup when it happened in the Super Junior Finals. and Agreed. Um I think it could be a great matchup here on this night. It's going to give Shingo and Suzuki some competition for match of the night, and it could potentially end up being the match of the night and end up being the one that ends up stealing the show. Yeah, you know, um, this is another match where I think that there is a very good possibility of a title change. Yeah, I am also, man, we're in sync here. We didn't talk about our predictions ahead of time, but I'm also thinking that Taiji... Ishimori will be taking the junior title from Hiromu. You know, the junior title has kind of been, you know, stuck in flux here. Um, coming back with Hiromu being in the New Japan Cup and, you know, facing off against heavyweights and then main eventing um, Sengoku Lord against Evil. Um, he really hasn't been focusing on the junior division. So I think you kind of need to freshen things up and inject some, you know, life in the division by having Ishimori lift the belt off of him and then they can go back and forth. Yeah, I'm interested to kind of see how this actually ends up playing out uh, as far as in-ring. Um, I think something that a lot of people haven't really considered, it's been a very long time since we've had a truly great singles performance from Taiji Ishimori. Um, I think the closest you could probably point to, in my opinion, is like last year's Super Juniors when he got injured in that match with Shingo. Uh, and you know, that was actually a tournament where we talked about how he underperformed and didn't have a great tournament. It was cause he was injured during the tournament. And prior to that, maybe his title reign last year, like he had good matches with like, uh, Dragon Lee and, um, Taguchi, but it's been a long time since we've seen like the Ishimori of old, you know, like Noah and that sort of thing. So I'm, these guys are very familiar with one another. Obviously, Hiromu is hypothetically coming off of an injury as well. I don't know if that was a, a legit thing or not. Now, Hiromu is for sure on the short list of top wrestlers of the year in New Japan this year. But uh, I'm just wondering how this is actually going to play out. If these guys can um, rise to the occasion, just given the the stage that they're on and the stakes that are there and the history that they have and everything of that nature. Or if um, this will actually disappoint because there, there's a lot of expectation. It's a lot of pressure for these two guys, honestly, to have a really great match. Yeah, we did have a question about that uh, from Kevin from D.C. He says, Ishimori has been showing his age and Hiromu's coming in banged up from the end of the Dominion shows. What would have been a lock for match of the night two years ago might just end up being another average to good junior heavyweight match. I'm talking four and a quarter to four and a half stars instead of the ridiculous 5.5 outing they achieved at the best super junior final. Do you think another match, say Takagi and Suzuki or ha 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 evil and Naito have a reasonable chance to be better than Hiromu and Ishimori? Yeah, I think that's a fair take. Um, I, the one thing I will say, four and a quarter to four and a half is more than good. That's more than average to good because to me, a four-star match is a great match. Same here. So I would say if they go out there and they have a four and a quarter to four and a half-star match, um, then they have entertained us and over-delivered. <laughs> you know, 
Um, I don't think their original match was quote unquote five and a half because that's assuming that that match was better than every five star match ever rated in the history of all human time by Dave Meltzer. It's just not just not true. Um, I didn't even think it was the best junior match of that year. I liked uh, Will Ospreay and uh, Marty Skrull, uh, the match where like Will Ospreay almost died that year better, just slightly. But uh, it's a great match. It's a really great match, but it's not five and a half. <laughs> yeah, jo- Josh doesn't subscribe to the, the above five star ratings. Yeah, I don't believe in that either, but I don't think it was even a five star match either. I think it was probably like four and a half to four and three quarters. Good match. Really good match. But anyways, um, you know, I think that they'll have a good match, a really good match, maybe even great. But um, yeah, it's definitely possible that some other match might outdo them. Um, one one he didn't mention is we'll talk about here in the next little bit. I think the tag team match could over deliver possibly. I'm not saying I'm not betting on it, but it's anything's you know that's that's another match that's probably gonna be really good too. Yeah, I mean all these title matches, I, I think are gonna deliver really well. And the, yeah, this the never the junior or the tag title match could end up being match of the night just depending on length of the match story of the match just kind of how the, the cards kind of set up but and you know with it being outdoor i don't know if people will be able to chant i i mean i i think we've heard that they might be able to but it's hard to know for sure but let's just assume they could that might actually really change the complexion and atmosphere of the main event as well because there is hypothetically we don't know this for a fact but it seems like there should be a lot of heat going into evil versus naito and that could actually really elevate that match too you just you know as much as i've complained about evil's reign and run it's not like the guy's never risen to an occasion at some point in his career he has at some points and this might be a good time for him to finally do it (laughs) (laughs) this this year (laughs) so who knows i mean that could actually be good yeah so we'll get to that match in a second, but first, like you mentioned, we got to talk about the IWGP Tag Title well, Match. Real quick, before we move on, um, what what's the reason you think Kuruma is losing the title here? And I'll explain mine, I guess. So first of all, kind of an overarching reason. I I feel like with this being, like you mentioned, the second biggest show of the year, big outdoor stadium show. I feel like New Japan is going to want to do a lot of title changes. And kind of shake things up. I know a lot of times we see on big shows, we see some title changes. You know, normally the Minions, a show where we often see a lot of title changes. And these like big shows of the year, we see a lot of title changes. So I feel like with this, you know, being the first big show since what new beginning in Osaka uh, or yeah. Sapporo, whatever the show that was, uh, since it's the first big show since then. With whoa, 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 Dominion was a big show. I, I mean, in front of like a bigger audience. I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I feel like they're going to want to, you know, please the crowd, do some title changes and shake some things up. So overarching, that's why I feel like a lot of titles could potentially change hands this night. And like I mentioned with uh, the junior title situation, you know, Hiromo hasn't really been focused on the junior title situation. And so I think, you know, honestly, I mean, there's Desperado, but I feel like Hiromo and Nishimori are the top two guys right now that are in currently in Japan and so if Hiromu defeats Ishimori, then what's next? Like, yeah, he could face Desperado. Right. Then, then he faces Desperado. Like, either Desperado has to beat him, or if he beats Desperado, then what? Like, who does he go? Like, does he, you know, there's Kanemaru. Does he face Wato? Like, there's not really a lot of, like, compelling options or stories to do if Hiromu just retains and beats Ishimori. 
I feel it's more compelling if Ishimori wins and then you can set up a rematch and potentially give it back to Hiromu or you have Ishimori run with it for a little bit. And I know they've been teasing Hiromu being elevated to heavyweight. You could, and, and, and with G1 coming up, you could have Hiromu end up being in G1 as well. So there's a lot of different reasons why you could take the belt off of Hiromu here. Man, you did a great job really recapping almost everything I wanted to say. So thanks for stepping on my toes. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just playing. Um, I agree with everything you said. And, you know, I would I would say take most of the things I said about Shingo and his title reign and the reasons I think that they might uh, take the title off him and copy and paste it here because you brought up a great point. The G1 is coming up. Um, there's a good, a really good possibility, especially since there's no super juniors, that Hiroma will be in that tournament. Now, the difference here, having the junior title doesn't completely exclude you from potentially winning it. In fact, that would be a historic thing. You know, that is a possibility. Right, yeah, I know uh, guys like Prince Devitt have been in the G1 with the junior title. Right, but in general, if you have the junior title, it usually does mean that you have no chance of winning this thing. You know, most of those guys don't do so hot. You know, look at Will Ospreay last year. But if he doesn't have the title, A, it might create a better chance for him going far in the tournament or even winning it. And then also, B, it keeps the division alive and active while he's in the tournament. You know, maybe – like you mentioned, what is next for him? Well, I think what's next for him is he's going to be in the G1 for sure. So then what's next for the title? Well, if he's in the tournament, nothing. But if he loses it to Ishimori, maybe something. Maybe something, at least. Right. Um, so that's that's my thinking. And then everything else you mentioned, I completely agree with. You know, I think you pretty much touched all the, the proper points there. Nice. So anything else on this matchup? I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I hope these – I hope – they come out unscathed because they're both madmen and they do a lot of crazy shit to entertain us for our benefit. So I hope uh, they both end up coming out healthy and uh, in good health. And I hope the match is great and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping I think it's going to be really historic. I was hoping it's better than uh, Kushida and Ishimori. Uh, it definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, moving on to the next matchup here, the semi-main event of the evening for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team titles. We have the current champions, the Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Golden Ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kota Ibushi. Yeah, um, do you have any, like, backstory on the build here? Because I'm, like, almost to the point where, like, I know the story, but I like I almost can't even really keep up with what's happened here. It just kind of seems like wash, rinse, repeat for the most part. Yeah, so kind of a quick recap. So also we had Golden Aces as the tag team champions. Um, they end up losing the titles to Dangerous Techers, and we kind of see the, this little rift going on between Abushi and Tanahashi. All the multi-man matches they've had, uh, you know, Tanahashi ends up losing or being laid out and Abushi, you know, kind of being disappointed and upset in Tanahashi uh, for not, you know, performing better. And then on this kind of last part of the tour, you had um, Taichi and Zack Sabre wanting Abushi to join Suzuki Goon and telling him to turn, turn their back on, turn his back on Tanahashi. And there was an angle where, you know, they set him up to give him the, the Kamagoye. He thought about it, but he didn't do it. And they, they had jumped him and all those kind of backstage promos of you know Tanahashi crying and letting Ibushi down, and then 
you know, we finally got the matchup where um, it was in the six-man tournament. Tanahashi gets the win. They eliminate dangerous techers out of the tournament. They Their whole goal was to, you know, pin one of those guys to get a rematch. And so they, they pinned, Tanahashi pinned, I believe it was Sabre or Taichi. I can't remember which one he pinned. He pinned one of those guys. They got the rematch. Tanahashi's, you know, telling Ibushi, you know, I'm not the god that I used to be. You're the you're the new god now, but I'm I'm still going to try my hardest for us to get the titles back. So that's kind of where we're at right now going into this matchup. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny. Um, earlier this year, it seems like a lifetime ago, but like before the pandemic, we did a podcast. Uh, you, myself, as well as Chris Amsa, we spent a long time discussing the tag team division, what it kind of meant having the Golden Aces there. They had just recently uh, taken the titles off of God, and I had some complaints at the time about all of this because I was like, you know. They're coming out to Tanahashi's music. <laughs> and in that match, like Abushi was sleeping on the outside or something, and like Tanahashi was outnumbered, and then he still beat both guys single handedly. And I was like, why is A Abushi like got his ass beat two nights in a row in the Tokyo Dome? <laughs> got relegated to a tag situation with with Tanahashi, and then like they don't come out to his music. You know, he's kind of like the second fiddle, even though the guy should he just won the G1. He should have been elevated. I was like, shouldn't he be the leader of the team? It seems like he's not. And then like Tanahashi doesn't need his help to dispatch like G.O.D., arguably the most you know decorated team in the company. Like at the time I was like, you know, I think they're really like kind of making him play second fiddle to Tanahashi. And you guys both at the time and I mean, you had good points, but. At the time, you both kind of disagreed with me, and I got to tell you, I think I was picking up on some nuanced points now because now with the story that Tanahashi is the one who is the weak link, I think they were setting that up all along because I, because if you think about it, and I know that this sounds like what WWE fans do where they're like, no, 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 you have to look at the subtext and there's none there, but like New Japan does usually have this kind of like little nuanced storytelling. And early on, I think that Tanahashi was the A side of the tag team. He was the Shawn Michaels. He was the lead guy. And they were kind of playing up the fact that he didn't need Abushi to win matches. But now that he's the guy who's become the weak link, I think the whole entire point of this entire story has been to elevate Abushi. And now he needs to become the god. He needs to be the lead guy. Tanahashi's got broken down ankle or, you know, elbows and knees and back and neck and he's breaking down and like it's time for abushi to rise up and like he's gonna carry tanahashi to maybe i don't know if it's here but to carry these titles and you know this is the catalyst for maybe tanahashi passing passing the torch over to abushi yeah that's definitely you could say that's the story that's that they've been telling the whole time it's kind of hard to tell obviously with the pandemic and like you mentioned pre-covid it, whole- it is Pre pre COVID, the whole storyline was kind of flipped. Where, like you mentioned, yeah, Tanahashi was an A guy, Abushi was on a losing streak, and you know it seemed like Abushi was just happy to team with his idol. And- Bro, that's okay. That's the thing I left out. I was like, I know I forgot to say something here, but that's the other point. He was just happy to team with his idol, right? And that's kind of like the point. I think that's kind of what Chris and I were using to kind of defend this. Like, yeah, he's just happy to be with you know Tanahashi. He doesn't he doesn't care about you know trying to break out right now. He's teaming with his idol. And they're going after tag titles, and they win the titles. Um, but 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 little did we know, we were all saying the same thing. If you really think about it, because I'm like, well, he's playing second fiddle because 
he's just happy to team with his idol. And you guys are like, no, it's a good thing. He's happy to team with his idol. They're the golden aces. They fucking rule. (laughs) (laughs) But then like that, that happiness, once they started losing, turned into resentment and frustration. Right. And you're right. We don't know what would have happened had there not been COVID. I, I agree with that. I think they could have totally switched things, but you know, we don't know. All we can go off of is what we have in front of us. And the, the way it seems is that the story, a lot of people thought that this was going to be like this revival for tag team wrestling in New Japan. And maybe it could have been, but because they don't have tag teams there, it kind of more seems like this is just a catalyst for Ibushi in a sense. Yeah. It's just kind of a, kind of a different story, a kind of a way to get him out of that. You know, he, just, he lost two nights in the Tokyo Dome. He had been losing kind of since he until he teamed with Tanahashi. So it's kind of a way to do something with him, a creative way to do do something with somebody that's kind of out of the title picture and to build them up. And in a way, um, that might actually qualify this to be one of the better stories that they've told this year across the board. There have been times where I've been frustrated with it, but it's mainly because we're maniacs. We're watching all the Road 2 shows, so... But if you didn't watch all the Road 2 shows, if you just simply – let's say you made a Chris Monticello-style YouTube video you know, or like a Showbuckle-style video and you just talked about individual – a couple of the big individual matches and the, the breakdown of the matches, the breakdown of the story and, and the backstage um, stuff that has happened, you'd probably end up having a really fantastic YouTube video that would get a, a ton of downloads until – you know, uh, uh, TV Asai discovered it and then canceled your entire channel. <laughs> <laughs> but you would honestly like this is in in serious contention for feud of the year, not just based off of the quality of the matches, but based off the storytelling that they've done. And it has also elevated guys like Tai Chi and Zack Saber, uh, as well as kind of rehabbed, you know, a uh, Abushi after he lost those two big matches in the dome. Yeah, and looking at the questions here, we kind of stepped on uh, Oscar Rooney's question, kind of talked about it. He asked, is the team of Golden Ace a way to elevate Ibushi instead of creating a strong tag team division? Yeah, I said exactly <laughs> what he said. I said exactly what he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so now uh, the prediction. This one is, is kind of hard. I feel like out of all title match, well, I guess the never title match is kind of a 50-50 shot as well, but I feel like this one's really like it could go either way. Well, you brought up a great point on the last match. You mentioned how they tend to do a lot of title changes during big matches like this. I see it going one of two ways, if you want my honest opinion. One, I guess you don't want my dishonest opinion. That would not be good. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things people say that they probably shouldn't say. But uh, number one, it's like dangerous techers lose, golden aces regain the belts, great you know it's sort of like everything's come full circle kodobushi has become the god that tanahashi wanted to everything's happy then you got to ask yourself what's next well g1's next so i guess the tag team division can kind of just sit and rest and chill until they hypothetically build a new title match out of the g1 that is definitely a possibility but you know what i think's a stronger possibility dangerous techers retaining dangerous techers retain Golden Aces lose. I don't see necessarily a quote-unquote heel turn for either of these guys, but given the history between Ibushi and Tanahashi, this could breed some serious resentment and hostility because 
maybe Ibushi did hold up his end of the bargain and maybe he did rise to the occasion and maybe Tanahashi couldn't cut the mustard. And then that creates serious tension between those two guys going into the G1 and they end up in the same block. But this time they're not partners. This time they're uh, former partners who have animosity with one another and everything's up in the air and there's uh, heartbreak and and despair. That sounds more like Gato's booking than the other one does, if you want my honest opinion, especially since I think they're changing some other uh, titles here. So I'm going to take the edgier – choice here i think a lot of people think golden aces are retaining and i did previously but now that i see the story they've told i think the dangerous techers are retaining and so here's kind of why i think dangerous techers are retaining also so oh (laughs) (laughs) so like you mentioned we we're talking about all these matches and title change so you you have so we're we're saying that the never title could could change hands so let's say never title changes hands junior title changes hands and then you have a tag title changes hands and it's like are they really going to flip the belt on the main event? It's like it's kind of like eh, it's kind of maybe too predictable. But if you have two title changes and then the one title retains right before the big title match, the heavyweight title match, you're like, oh, one title retain. Like, are they going to go for another retention right after that or another title change? So it kind of shakes things up a little bit. That's true. But one thing I want to point out. Um... And maybe I'm historically inaccurate. I'm just going off my basic memory. The year when Kenny Omega took the belt off of Okada, they flipped every title prior to that match. Right. And so they do have a track, although that was rare. But, I mean, we've seen entire Wrestle Kingdoms, like the last Wrestle Kingdom when uh, the Elite left. They changed every title during that Wrestle Kingdom as well. So maybe that would be too formulate. You could make an arg- argument. They've done it too many times in the past on big, you know, the A and B show of the year to change all the titles. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they do need to have one retention to keep people on their toes. Uh, I don't think it's wrong for them to go either way, honestly. But um, I think you bring up a good point. I think it does create some semblance of doubt. It's hard to say. This is this match is actually harder to predict than. I thought it would be a few weeks ago. Yeah. But I do feel like I, I love Tai Chi and I love Saber, but I do feel like Abushi and Tanahashi could be more useful post G1 in singles uh, pictures compared to Tai Chi and Saber. Possibly, but it also kind of depends on what you're thinking. Um, I mean, you know, originally we kind of thought that they were planning to make this tag team title a headlining sort of attraction, you know, mm-hmm. COVID happened. That didn't really pan out, you know? Um, but, and I don't know with the current status that they could do that. I can tell you with dangerous techers on top, that won't be the case, especially if they're not facing the golden aces. I don't know what tag team they could possibly face where they are headlining any sort of shows, ex- uh, except maybe like a low level cork and hall show, you know? Right. But I do feel like there's probably more options for challengers if you keep it on dangerous techers. Because then you can throw... Maybe. You can throw out Tenkoji. You can throw out, like, a Goto and Ishii. There's a lot of different combos of chaos. There's a lot of different combos of um, the home team guys that you can put together to go against these guys. All of that is true, but then the one thing that changes that... And that would have been true, like, let's say if it happened a month or two ago, but once the G1 comes up, it doesn't really matter because once you're in the G1, 
and all four of these guys, I believe, will be in the G1. Right. Then you could – no matter who the winner was and who the reigning champions are, it can potentially create future title challengers down the road regardless, you know? Right. So, I mean, that, that that's always a rebuilding period. My thinking – one thing I, I am thinking that's along the same thoughts as you though is I don't know and I would guess that they probably are not going to do a World Tag League. But – if they were to do some form of tag league at the end of the year or some tag tournament, there's no way Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi are working something like that just before Wrestle Kingdom. Right. But if Taichi and Zack Sabre were the champions, they totally would. And they would go into that tournament as champions. They would totally defend those belts at Wrestle Kingdom. And because of the timetable here, it just makes more sense to me long term for Saber and Tai Chi to win the belts. Definitely. I could see yeah, dangerous checkers in a tag title picture, and then that leaves post G one to build some program a program for Abushi and Tanahashi. Heck, maybe Here's you even my, build Tanahashi and Abushi at Wrestle Kingdom. Here's my last thought though, and this is gonna go against everything I have said. Tanahashi and Zach Sa- or and uh Abushi are both big stars. They deserve a big match at Wrestle Kingdom. But you have a lot of new fresh stars as well, um, and we're, you know, again in a prolonged or in a shortened period just before Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know that keeping them, like keeping the tiles on them, isn't the best thing for them. If hypothetically there wasn't a World Tag League, as long as there's not a quote unquote tag league, then that would create the possibility that we set up challengers during G1. And then we can create some sort of big program for them during Wrestle Kingdom this year. Gives them a meaningful place on the card. And it creates open opportunity for other guys like Will Ospreay or like Zack Sabre or Shingo or whoever it might be that you want to elevate on the card and you know give big singles matches to this year once you have Tanahashi and Ibushi in a tag role. That's the one positive you have there. And then maybe when uh, like COVID and stuff clean, clears up, maybe that idea of you know turning the tag division into some headlining thing can still be realized with those guys. So I think it really just depends on what the booking goals are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it was up to me, if I if I was booking this, I would not want Tanahashi and Ibushi in their tag title match at Wrestle Kingdom. I'm either putting those guys in a match against each other, or I'm putting them in high profile singles matches against two other people. I like the idea of them facing each other at Wrestle Kingdom. That's yeah, I like that, and I think that fits more in in line with the kind of booking idea that I came up with, uh, or no, I wouldn't say came up with, but that I'm thinking of. Right. When it com- when it comes to, it reminds me of when Bret and Owen had like some tension going into Royal Rumble '94, and then just before their match with the Quebecers, they're like, "Everything's good. We're back together, stronger than ever. We worked it out." We're brothers. We can get through anything, yada, yada. <laughs> and then who was the one who – oh, bro. I I never drew these parallels until just right now. Like I'm starting to blow my mind. Who was the one with the injury in that match that cost them the title shot? Brett. Mm. And Brett reminds me of Tanahashi in so many ways. <laughs> so like – what if hypothetically like Abushi is sort of playing like a quasi Owen Hart in this version where like 
this guy's supposed to be his mentor and his like leader and his guide, but he's kind of holding him back and he's always been in his shadow. So now he's got to surpass him and get past his shadow. And what happened? What opened WrestleMania 10? Brett versus Owen in one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. Bro, Abushi and Tanahashi are fighting at, at, at Wrestle Kingdom this year. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that that's the perfect way to, you know, crescendo the story. You know, you finally have... A, you know, also they faced off in the G1 finals, but you have this big Wrestle Kingdom match where Ibushi's facing off against his idol. Like, this is the moment. Like, you beat Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom, then you are now the freaking man, and now you can go off in 2021 could be Ibushi's year. Except for at Wrestle, 10, at Wrestle Kingdom 10, or not Wrestle Kingdom, at WrestleMania 10, um, Owen Hart thought that that's what happened, but then the... Later in the night, Bret Hart won the world title, so he wasn't really the man. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, I mean, I love the story because if that's the way – I know we're just fantasy booking, but let's say it played out that way. Then you can literally draw a line from New Year's Dash all the way to Wrestle Kingdom the next year. and You've got a full year-long booked storyline that no one really saw coming. And it's a, it's a beautiful story if it played out that way. Right. That would be really cool. I think, like, someone needs to tell Gato what we just fucking said because it's some of the best, like, fantasy booking work we have ever done on this show. Well, I mean, it, to me, it sounds like something Gato would book. It does. It does. I would love it. I mean, we, we might just be being marks here and we could be wrong, but uh, I would love to be the guys that, like, called this before everybody else. And I think we might be. Right. Let's, well, you know, victory lap, mark it down. Episode 143, <laughs> Jeremy and the Young Boy called Ibushi versus Tanahashi for Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, man. So you want to take us to the main event here? Yes, the main evento for the double IWGP heavyweight title, IWGP Intercontinental title match. We have the double champion, the King of Darkness, Evil, taking on the leader of Los Ingobernables de Japón, Tetsuya Naito. Big matchup here, obviously stemming from the New Japan Cup, where Evil turned his back on Naito, joined the Bullet Club, defeated Okada in the finals of the New Japan Cup. Ends up going to the Minion, defeating Naito, brings in Dick Togo. Um, he's now the quote-unquote new face leader of the Bullet Club, and now he's in his uh, second defense here, defended against Hiromu, and now he's uh, defending here against Naito. Naito's getting his rematch. Man, you did a really good job uh, recapping everything. So who do you think is winning here, and let's move on. <laughs> 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 You know, uh, one thing I wanted to say, in a perfect world, I know that this isn't necessarily feasible. So please don't, like, bury me for saying this because I know that maybe it's not realistic. But, like, let's say that there wasn't COVID and everything. This was the story that they're trying to do, and they had a more robust roster than they do now. Wouldn't it make more sense if Bullet Club as a whole was feuding with lij as a whole as opposed to individualized feuds that feel like they're separated from one another yeah that would make more sense yeah yeah because evil like really turned his back on the entirety of them all and like sonata doesn't seem to care shingo's off doing his shit bushi's trying to win this provisional (laughs) non-belt title like it again lij as as great of a quote unquote faction there, they don't give a shit about each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, 
this should like if I was booking it, not only would Naito and Evil be fighting each other, but we'd be seeing like d- blood feuds between guys in Bullet Club and guys in LIJ. And again, I understand why they couldn't hypothetically do that because they, they don't have all the members, you know, a Bullet Club to do this. But I mean, I kind of almost am like, should we get to a point where this feud, like, Okay, this is what I was thinking. I've heard people be like, this is the most interesting thing that's happened to Naito or Evil in years. And I'm like, it's really not. But one thing that could have really ramped it up is like if this betrayal was played out into like this really heated rivalry and these guys were like every time they fought, it was just resulting in like DQs and non-finishes and like just brawling and these guys were fucking each other up. And then it got to a point where like they're like, you know what? Two factions cannot stand in this company. We're going to go to war. Loser has to disband their entire faction. Mm. Then the stakes would really be raised. Then people would really care about this. And I know people probably do care about it, but this seems like Gato booking 101 to me. You know, Naito lost his belt. Evil got a little bump, turned heel. He got his first run, got one title defense. Now he's going to drop the title just in time for a G1 just in time for him to not be on the important part of the year, it's by the numbers. I think Naito's winning the belt back. I mean, like, I feel so confident about it. Like, I would be, I literally would be shocked to my core (laughs) if Evil goes into the G1 with the belt. Yeah, once again, I'm right there with you. We've actually pretty much said this prediction over the last few weeks now. We think that Evil... This was a kind of a short-term thing, and Evil would drop the title right back to Naito. And so, you know, what better way than to end, you know, this second biggest show of the year, you know, most fans have had since pre-COVID, this, you know, good, you know, feel-good moment of Naito getting revenge on the guy that, you know, stabbed him in the back and getting back his double titles. And then now you could give Naito a, a better reign because obviously with COVID, it kind of messed up Obviously, he was building up these days but had no defenses. So now if you want to, you can win the titles and you can actually have a better reign now. Jay White's only had one title reign, right? Right, yep. Funny thing about Jay White. um, We are fans of his, but I wouldn't say like unconditional fans because he'd be fucking off sometimes. And um, there's lots of times where we are critical of stories he's in matches he's in things he's doing but then there's times where we really praise the guy but once he won the title and then dropped it there was this inevitability this feeling that you know what that was his first run he's for sure getting this belt back at some point down the line felt the same way when naito had his first title run back in like 2015 2016 um Felt the way about several other people that were in that same situation. This is going to speak to a lot of the criticisms that I had about evil in the past, where like people kind of disagreed with us or kind of like, you know, didn't like the takes we had and thought they were negative. I'm telling you right now, I have no confidence based on his reign, based on the push that they gave him. That he's anything more than a transitional guy to try and sell tickets right now and get Naito, quote-unquote, over more. There's nothing here that tells me that evil 
a year or two from now is getting a second title reign with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> not when Shingo exists, not when, you know, Will Ospreay's on the rise, not when they've got all these other big stars like Okada, like Naito, like Tanahashi, like Ibushi, like Zack Sabre. Name, t- you know, take take your pick. There's so many guys. You trying to tell me Watanabe is getting this shit again after this lackadaisical shit that he just pulled? Maybe he will. Here is his chance to prove me wrong. Evil. I'm calling you out, big boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Do, do yourself a favor. Go listen to Eminem's, uh, that song where he says you only got one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime, <laughs> dog. This is your shot. And if you blow it here, you are done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think he was going to get one title reign. So, I mean, no, I, I could. I mean, I don't think, but it, I mean, it's not quite out of the question if he gets a second one. Um, it's 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 not. If, if he becomes the quote unquote leader of the Bullet Club for proper for real then yeah maybe he will get another little run but it just seems unfathomable but it didn't feel that way with any other guy is my point right other guys who had their short little runs you were like you know what they had a little run they're definitely getting this shit back definitely with him i don't feel that way do you feel that way no not at all i mean like you like you mentioned, of all the guys that they have on there, and the fact that they're slowly starting to get some guys back, like you mentioned, you know, Osprey, we're thinking Jay White's going to be back. Uh, you know, there are guys who are obviously higher in the pecking order than Evil that I would feel are going to get title shots and are going to get title runs before he gets his second one, even if he ever gets another one. Yeah, this feels like a congratulatory, like, complimentary, like, achievement award. Like, it doesn't feel like... Anything more than that, honestly. It's a participation trophy in a way. This is not Bruno San Martino. This is Stan Stasiak, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, this man. is not this is not Pedro Morales. This is Ivan Koloff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I th- I think he will kind of stay up in the top mix at least for the rest of the year. Like I think he's gonna have a good G one. He's gonna be at the top of the block. Potentially, you know, that's that's true. I, I'm overblowing this, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to lose the belt and the G1 will actually be the real test. Right. I think the big failure here would be if he loses the title and then immediately just kind of goes back to where he was and just kind of ends up, you know, being a tag guy and him and, you know, him and Bale or whatever the new Bullet Club tag team and are going after the belts or whatever. Take take away the um take away like Gato and Jado, take away the heaters, you know. Um what's the worst combo tag team you could possibly put together with him and another bullet club member? Probably You think it's you think it's him and Fale? Either him and Fale or him and Yujiro. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and again, I said earlier, they're going to have quite a few people there going to be outdoors. There is a chance that we're actually going to get live crowd reactions, which might be very important, uh, to this match. And this will be a real test if that is the case as to 
how much heat, how much anticipation, excitement, and overness like there actually is to this program. Because up to now, we haven't been able to ascertain that at all. We really don't know. But um, if there is crowd reactions, that will tell us a lot that we need to know. Right, yeah, so... And here's what I'll say. I'm hoping for a good matchup. I hope this is a good main event. Uh, I hope we can come back uh, next week and rave about Evil's performance, rave about this this main event, and that's what I'm hoping for here. I hope we can too, but let me say this. If Okada's fucked up knees... And his slow ass matches and his botches show up and evils. You mean Naito? Oh, I'm sorry, Naito. Yeah, I'm tired. And um, evils, you know, dick kicking and dick punching and mad interference, which I'm sure some of those things will happen. But I like if it's like overkill and the match is slow and plotting and boring and is anything like the first match that they had or anything like the run that evil had during the um, New Japan Cup. Not only am I going to bury the shit out of it, but I'm going to point back to how we've been talking about this ongoing trend of both of theirs for quite a while now. It's going to probably make Evil fans mad, Bullet Club fans mad, Naito fans mad, LIJ fans mad. But you got to face the facts. Like when the empirical evidence is sitting in front of you at a certain point, it doesn't matter how good the quote unquote story is. It when you know you can have a really well-directed movie and really well-written movie. But if you got the wrong actors playing the parts, you don't got a good movie. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I hope hope we have a good movie. I hope we have a blockbuster and I hope it fucking kills. But if this shit stinks, we're going to talk about it next week. And I feel like that's actually my, what might be happening. Uh, in in the words of One Nation Radio, if they put in out trash, we gonna rip them to bits. So, <laughs> like this is a no cap zone. This is the no flex zone. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do not uh, cap out here on keeping strong style. All right, let's go to the news. Anything final before you, uh, Jingo? I'm excited for it. Overall, I'm very excited. I think overall it's going to be a great show. It's going to be a lot of great matches. I think this is the kind of show that New Japan really needs to bring some more buzz and excitement to the product. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be a great show. You see Payback's trying to run counter-programming? Well, Payback will be on uh, Sunday. When's this show? Saturday? I think the show is Saturday. I thought it was Sunday. I thought they were trying think, to run. Hold on, let me... I thought they were trying to counter-program us. This is this show's the 29th. Yeah, this show's Saturday. Okay, so we got Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week? Yeah. Okay, great. All right, so that's going to wrap that up. So then we'll get the news, a uh, few questions, and recommended match of the week. So uh, Gabriel Kidd out with a neck injury. As a result of the injury, he'll be unable to compete on the Summer Struggle cards that are set to take place in Corken Hall on the 26th and 27th. The following changes have been made. On the 26th, Yuji Nagata will replace Gabriel Kidd in a match, teaming with Yota Tsuji and Yuyamura against Yoshihashi, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroki Goto. On the 27th, Kojima and Tenzon will take on Yumura and Tsuji. Um, well, that match has been changed now, so that's going to be a, a singles match with Tsuji uh, versus Yumura, and then Kojima will place, replace Gabriel Kidd in a match, teaming with Hanma and Yuji Nagata versus Yoshihashi. Ishii and Hiroki Goto. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, for the Jingu show, there will be 
English commentary, live English commentary with Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. Chris Charlton will be in the building. Kevin Kelly will be doing it uh, here from the U.S. So like we mentioned earlier, very similar to the kind of NXT setup that's going on right now. Uh, there was an interview in Sports Illustrated with Kenta, uh, with Kenta reflecting on his time in WWE and North America and just you know, what, how humiliating that was and just kind of, uh, you know, how he just didn't feel like himself and how that kind of shattered his uh, confidence and just talking about that and kind of, you know, being revived in New Japan. So you can check that out. And then lastly, here in the news, the free match of the week is the uh, IWGP certificate match between Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi from King of Pro Wrestling 2015. Now, Josh, I think it's a very interesting, before a Naito title match, that they're throwing out this Naito and Tanahashi free matchup. And, and what year is it from? 2015. Hmm, it's from G1. Uh, no, it's from oh, King no. of Pro Wrestling. It's from uh, King of Pro Wrestling. It's uh, Naito won, or no, no, no. Tanahashi was the reigning G1 winner, and he was uh, defending, defending his gauge. title shot against Naito. Yeah. What do you think that means? Because he obviously retained the opportunity against Naito, and then went on to face Okada at Wrestle Kingdom that year. So I don't think the result is a thing here. I just think it's the fact that it's Naito and Tanahashi. And the fact that was a match they were teasing pre-COVID. And so I think we could be getting that Naito Tanahashi match on a show coming up. I think that is interesting as well. I don't know if it's necessarily telling. Uh, I I just find it hard to imagine how we're going to end up with uh, Naito and Tanahashi again down the road. You know, um, unless, like, you know, they just be in the given same, where they're It could be in the same G1 block and Tanahashi beats Naito. Then oh, get, and then earns a title shot at, say, King of Pro Wrestling or something like that. Yeah. Or whatever the next, uh, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, just throwing out there, probably, it, it could be absolutely nothing. And it, it's a random match they picked, but, you know, I've, I've been on There's this There's usually whole, a reason. Yeah, I've been on this, like, Naito, Tanahashi, like, ghost hunt for a while now so i just i want there to be some validation behind this for me <laughs> um all right so that's it for the news now on to the question so from reddit user hawaiian punch bv have you heard of the new puro promotion gleet it's going to be a uwf style promotion run by kayoshi tamora nasawa kaz hayashi and ricky choshu sounds like something up your alley young boy no, I haven't heard anything um, about it at all. I mean, um, you know, <laughs> Shoot Style is so weird, man, because the original concept behind Shoot Style was that it was real pro wrestling. You know, the stuff that everyone else in the world did was fake, but we do the real wrestling. Like, they were alluding to the idea that they were literally fighting in shoot matches as if it was the UFC or whatever. And, it, and then later, like the rise of MMA showed up and it was strange because like in the mid to late nineties, you had Pancrase, you had rings, you know, which had converted to actual MMA. You had Shuto, you had pride, you had the UFC and you had K one. And then you had other, like, you know, UWFI still going, 
<laughs> and kingdom and stuff like that. And it's like, we know that what you're doing is not real anymore because we can see the difference between what you guys are doing and what is happening. You know, like battle arts is not the same thing, obviously as like pride or whatever, you know, it's like, you can kind of tell the difference. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but over the past few years, there have been a few like shoot style promotions. I mean, Futen was a big thing, Hard Hit, which I think was like a spinoff of DDT. Um, but I haven't really been into any kind of like shoot style promotions. I love, you know, the old shoot style stuff. I love it a lot. But I mean, I mean, UFC is running out, you know, every week. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I do like the Josh Barnett's Bloodsport stuff a lot, but uh, I'll, I'll check this out, you know. But um, my experience is that it's really hard for those companies to draw any kind of audience. It's also hard for them to uh, find workers who can really specialize in the style. I, they've got the right guys at the head of it. I mean, Kyoshi Tamora is undoubtedly, and th- there's, I mean, unless you really like Volkan a lot, he's the greatest shoot style wrestler ever of all time, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. But he's not because the style died and because he is the top guy in the style and the style died, he doesn't get the rec- you know, the rec- uh, recognition that he really deserves. But I mean, like 1997, the match between uh, Tamora and uh, TK is literally the greatest shoot style match of all time. And it is the match of the year in 1997 for any wrestling, whether it's Puro or in North America, it's better than Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin, period. It's the best match. And, uh, yeah, so I would love to check that out. Yeah, it seems like it just formed yeah, a few days ago. So very interesting trying to start a new promotion still in a pandemic, especially a shoot-style promotion. So be interesting to see how uh, the Gleet promotion goes from here. I think there was also, like, um, there's a couple, like, strong style or, like, shoot-style um one night only tournament promotions in the UK, but I mean, Brit rest is dead and that shit kind of got killed a year or two ago anyway. So yeah. His uh, other question is with all the recent talk of Tanahashi and Naito being done soon, why don't fans realize that they can just go to another promotion in their late fifties and beat the ace of that company in a 27 minute match. (laughs) Speaking of KG Muto, Muto after beating Kiyomiya, he stated that he wanted to have a shot at the GHC heavyweight title around what percentage do you think that he'll be the third person to hold all three major titles? Is it higher than 0%? Well, uh, you know, let's be transparent here. Neither of us are avid Noah watchers. So I couldn't tell you with any true certainty uh, or knowledge about the company as to whether Muta will for sure win the GHC title. But, I mean, Muta is in terrible shape. I mean, terrible, terrible, terrible shape. But they had him beat Kiyomiya. And he has a name that can still draw. His name really does still – he's one of the biggest stars ever, and he still draws. He still means something. Um, I would be shocked that you have him at 0% chance of winning the title against – who's the champion? Go Shiozaki? Yeah, I think so, right? Dude, no. he could beat Go Shiozaki. Is, is Shiozaki the champion right now? I, I it's, not, it's not Kiyomiya. I think yeah. Shiozaki just fought Kano. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't really keep it with no all that much. I'm not 100 sure. Bro, he can beat Go. Like you know, he can beat Go for the title for sure. I mean, I don't think it's that far fetched. I mean, I'm not saying he will, but I mean, I I don't know. 
you know. It, it, now, if this was all Japan and he was fighting Kento Miyahara or some shit, <laughs> then probably not. But, um, you know, Go hasn't been the ace of this company for a long time, you know. If it was Marafuji, then I'd say no. But it's not. It's Go Shiozaki. And I know Go Shiozaki was a major player in the company for, you know, years ago. But he, and they, they wanted him to be ace. And he is a great wrestler. And I'm not discounting him, but. Yeah, go, yeah, go is the current champion. Yeah. There are certain guys who you can put in that role who can afford to take the loss and it'd be fine. And I think Go Shiozaki is one of those guys. I don't be surprised if Muto wins, you know, completes the the true triple crown of Puro. Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, he is a, a big name that can draw also right now during this pandemic. You you need as much as you, you need anything you can to get an advantage and try and make some money. So I could see them, yeah, putting the belt on him to, you know, draw a house, draw some buzz. Uh, one other thing he mentioned, and it's something he actually brought up a great point. Something I've pointed out in the past is like, you know, people have kind of asked us questions over the years. They're like, you know, what's the deal with the dads and the different generations? And like, at what what point do people generally start to wind down from their main event role and start to step into like a preliminary? mid Carter slash opening role, you know, because uh, I think they're trying to track the trajectory of some of these older guys, like what he mentioned. And the thing I've always brought up is that, historically speaking, that never happens. <laughs> historically speaking, most of these guys, when once the company wants to stop using them and wants to start cycling them, they usually just go somewhere else because they have a big enough name to be able to do that. It's kind of like what wrestling was like in the 80s, you know, especially – I'm not saying the Japanese market is at its strongest. I mean, clearly with COVID, everything's very up in the air for a lot of these companies. I also saw an earnings report where like a lot of these companies aren't even making money aside from DDT marginally and New Japan. Like, you know, it's, it's precarious. But uh, I'm not saying Tanahashi is going to leave. He's pretty loyal. But let's say Tanahashi, let's say they really were like, we want, you know, we want you to move down the card and be an opening act. Tanahashi could just go somewhere else and be champion, right? <laughs> and make a lot of mo- and make a lot of money. Yeah, and that's what happened in the past. That's that's what happened when Ricky Choshu left and Fujinami left and Inoki left and all these guys. You know, they they were able to do that. The reason we've got the dads there is because they were on top during a dead period of New Japan's history, and they couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who wants Nakanishi? <laughs> Right. <laughs> or even Nagata, you know, like those guys didn't move business, unfortunately. I mean, they had their time in place, but they were on top at a terrible period and they couldn't do that. So, I mean, um, the one the one thing that luckily is New Japan is paying the most money, and is making the most money. And those guys are very loyal to the company and honor is a big part of Japanese culture. But I mean, five years from now. If Tanahashi wants to keep wrestling and Gato or whoever's in charge says you can't, you know, you need to slow down. I don't know. He could go to All Japan easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, go All Japan, Noah. Go somewhere, yeah. Easily, you know. It, and <laughs> there's no reason he, he couldn't. Even if, his, even if his body was broken down, even if he wasn't the performer he used to be. Because he's a name and he's a legend. Those guys can always do that. Yeah, good point there. Uh, so next question here from our user Nate A11. He says, "Who's your favorite German?" 
So now, I don't know if he's asking us who's our favorite German wrestler or who has our favorite German suplex. Uh, well, um, I'm going to assume he means my favorite German ever in history, and it's obviously going to be Das Wunderkid, Alex Wright. Duh. Mm, yes. There's the no one. There's no other right answer. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> uh, next question here. Uh, Viking Payne he says, Japan is about to allow all foreign residents abroad re-entry in September. Do you guys know if this will apply to guys like Will Ospreay and Juice Robinson? I don't know. Let's hope. Yeah, I was reading um, somebody in the um, our Discord shared um, article about the whole reentry process that's going to be starting in September. Two people who have residences. So, I mean, Osprey and Juice do have residents in Japan. So, I would think both these guys would be eligible. There's not a um, you know a solid start date. They don't know if it's September 1st or 15th or 30th, but. Uh, I would think whenever the date is that these two guys would be allowed back in the country since they live there. Uh, next question here from our user PSAN91. When do you think we'll get some announcements about the G1 blocks and match lineups? I was thinking during the remaining Summer Struggle shows. Yep, we're getting them this weekend. Right, I would say uh, Jingu for sure. They're, yeah, they're, they announced the dates. It's very unlikely they're going to announce the dates and not give us the blocks and the matches and the participants right after that. That's historically what they've always right. done. If they don't do it, I'll be very surprised. The only thing that could probably stop them is if they're counting on you know, guys like Osprey and Jay White and for some reason they don't get in the country or something going or they're wrong. just not totally sure if it's like lockdown yet. Right. So that could be the only reason why there might be a delay. There might end up being a press conference sometime later. But I would say Jingu, like in between matches, are probably going to get you know the, the full block lineup with like the main events on each of the big nights. Nice. Uh, next question, EMJ does PR. He says, I heard a lot of smack talk about these gimmick matches. My question is, what is the GOAT gimmick match? Is the question what is the greatest match that involves a gimmick or the greatest match type? The, I think the greatest, yeah, the greatest gimmick match of all time. Match type. Oh, okay, because you just said two different things just now, even. <laughs> I think you, <laughs> you gave mean, me, you just told me both answers. So I think he means the greatest, like the greatest gimmick, or the greatest match type. To me, it's the steel cage. Now there's a lot of variations of steel cages. You you get you can have a steel cage with a roof. You can have a, a hell in a cell. Uh, you can have a six sides of steel. You can have a lethal lockdown. A chamber. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are variants of the same concept. But um, I would probably wager. I think I would be right here. Given its long history. And given uh, its brutality and its uh, close proximity to great storytelling and feuds, you probably can't find another um, like gimmick in general that has produced as many great and classic match type or matches as the Steel Cage has, and. Regardless of whether it's a war games match or elimination chamber, even a Punjabi prison match, <laughs> as horrible as those are, 
the idea that you're locking two guys into a brutal, you know, enclosed area where they're forced to settle their differences and it's going to create violence and keep outside factors from playing into it. Hopefully. I mean, it's everything you want. Like it's the ultimate proving ground. The, the steel cage is the best. It's the best. Yeah, and like you mentioned, with with the cage, there comes a lot of different variations and rules that you can do. So it's kind of one of these gimmicks. Like you can adapt it to whatever story you're telling. Good, adapt it to your promotion. It's definitely one of the most like versatile gimmick matches that's out there. Yeah, I mean, like for sure. I mean, you look at one of my favorite ones is like Hayabusa and Onita in a time bomb exploding death barbed wire cage match. Like, <laughs> you know, and that's quite a bit different from Ricky Morton and Ric Flair at great American bash 86. Like they're not at all the same, but they're both in enclosed structures and they're very, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, they fit the criteria. I mean, what do you think is the greatest like gimmick type? Like what's your favorite? So what's my favorite? What I think is the greatest. Yeah. Well, both. I mean, shouldn't your fa- I mean, you, you're usually the kind of person that like your favorite is the greatest for the most part. Yeah. I mean, your favorite match is Okada and Omega. I mean, there's a reason. It's because it's the best. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to argue against a steel cage. I mean, I I for I like Hell in a Cell matches, but I know that's kind of a part of the cage. I struggle to say Hell in a Cell just because of how WWE's kind of killed it. They've, they, they've literally killed it, where it's not even, it's not the same. Right. Probably in the last, like, 10 years, they've, they've killed that version of it. Um, you know, I, I loved all like the six sides of steel matches um, and TNA. But these, these are all cage matches, right? Yeah. So essentially, it's probably cage. But I mean, I, I like ladder matches. But again, I think even ladder matches are getting to the point now where they're uh, being overdone. Um, I really, I'm, lo- su- I'm surprised you haven't said ladder because I feel like for you, like you like ladder matches more than I do. Yeah, I, I love ladder matches, and you know, I, I love flips. I love reaching out of pro wrestling, but even to, I think it gets to a point now, even or ladder matches, like I'm saying, are being overdone. I mean, you, you see, look at look at like a, like approach like NXT and the amount of ladder matches they've had in, in, a, in a short span. And I think if you look across all promotions, I feel like ladder matches just kind of get overdone. And if you don't have the right guys in there, they don't end up being great. Um, but I do love overall. Do love ladder matches. Well, you know, you can make the same argument for cage matches. You, you really can. I mean, cage matches have been bastardized to the point over the past decade where they're not what they used to be. But I'm kind of alluding to history. But I think that with ladder matches, you kind of I think that's a I think that's a really close probably got to be up there. You know, the other one I love is any last man standing variant, including the Texas death match. Mm, yeah, I think that. um uh, Rich and James from One Nation Radio. Shout out to those guys. They've got this. Uh, <laughs> they got this running joke where they're like, "It's impossible to have a bad last man standing match." Literally, it's impossible <laughs> because I mean, it's it's such a simple formula and the drama of like a guy getting up before the count of ten. It's like every everything's like a heightened, um, you know, drama of a fall. Like. It, it's pretty much always going to be at least a really good match. It, you can't have a bad last man standing match. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that you could probably make a good argument against the cage match with a last man standing or Texas death match variant. Yeah. That's a good argument. 
uh, I wouldn't call this one the greatest, but it's it's one of my favorites. I always loved Ultimate X. I thought that was <laughs> <laughs> was that so funny? <laughs> there have been some really bad ones, but there have been some really great ones too. Yeah, I, the O five one's the best one. Yeah, I, I always I've always liked that gimmick. So it's not I'm not calling it the greatest, but it's one of my favorites. I remember, uh, I don't know what podcast it was or what, I was listening to some shoot interview and they were talking about the Ultimate X and I think it was like Kevin Nash, he's like, the one where they put the, the ring ropes up in the air. Shit's <laughs> 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 uh, uh, funny. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's move on. Yeah, uh, Highest Fly Flow says, how do you guys see the Bullet Club story go down? Is there a BC versus BC Japan split? Who goes to what side? I appreciate the question. We've gotten this type of question multiple times in the past. Um, I, I, I personally, I don't have the mental energy or to to really speculate on this because I don't know how it's going to play out, and I almost, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of just don't, honestly. Um, I hope it's great when it does play out, but I mean, you know, we spent a lot of time speculating on it the first time and it none of that shit happened the way we thought it would. And part of me almost feels like what if this one doesn't play out the way we think it might? We don't even know how long this COVID shit's gonna last. Like I think the only thing I can tell you, I think yes. I think there'll be some split. Who's going where? I don't know. How's it gonna happen? I don't know. Will it be good? I I, I almost think it probably won't be. Yeah, I mean, just based on how things are right now, I, w- I would say everybody that's in the U.S., they're going to go with Jay. Everybody that's in Japan, they're going with Evil. That's obviously the, probably the most logical split down the middle. But here's here's my what here's my two cents. I will add to it because I don't really care who where anybody goes, honestly. And that's a problem because I should care about that. I should, and here's why. Normally, when to have a successful split, a really successful split, you need to have someone that you hope gets propelled into some sort of babyface type situation, an avenger, someone who's going to right a wrong, someone who's going to, um, you know, stand up for, you know, who's going to be the the white hat and all that. I guess you could make an argument that Jay White could be that, and I know he could quote unquote be a good. Um, face but like i don't care to see him avenge anything in the bullet club how's he been wronged you know if they jump him out of the company out of the group i don't care he had it coming all along like there's no one in that group that i want to see turn face and then the only other plausible plausible like interesting idea that i can think of that might be good is like a real true to to life blood feud two guys that just hate each other and they're gonna go to war no matter what and it's gonna like be the destruction of one and the transformation of another. And like I just don't see that playing out from either of these guys either, because they're both like always powdering all the time and dick kicking people and all the shenanigans. And I think that a real feud between them is gonna be just that, a bunch of bull club bullshit. And it's not gonna be anything that's actually compelling or hard hitting. And I know people think I'm being um <laughs> like too uh, harsh on this, but like History has not proven me wrong on this shit with the Bullet Club. You know, it just hasn't. So, I mean, you want to see evil and, I mean, in theory, on paper, the idea that there's tension between these two guys because no one knows who the real leader is does sound kind of cool. But once you start thinking about what the matches would actually be like and what the outcomes would be, who turns face? 
Right. That's what really matters. Like, who's getting the push off this? Do you care to see Jay White get this babyface push? I don't. There's, there's nothing here for me. I mean, I would want to see Jay as a face just because I, I know he's a great wrestler and he could, you know, ditch all shenanigans and, you know, have great matches without having to, you know, screw off. But there's Bro, not... But, not w- but not with the NWO Wolfpack storyline. Right. The NWO Wolfpack storyline doesn't work. It didn't work with Team 2000 and and NWO, you know, 20 years ago. It's not going to fucking work now. <laughs> uh, I think that they need to rethink this whole thing. You know, yeah. Uh, they probably just shouldn't put the belt and get on uh, evil. That's probably <laughs> that's your first mistake. <laughs> uh, next question from Kyle Martin. He says, "Did you guys catch Talking Chop a Mania? What did you guys think of it? And if you did see it, would you recommend watching it sober?" I didn't watch it. I did it not. 15, it's fifteen bucks. I didn't spend it. I did not watch Talking Chop Mania. I had no desire or plan to watch that show and. Um, I, mean, I, I heard I heard good things. That's the one thing I will say. I heard it was funny. I heard it was worth the view. Um, Karen nerds out. Shout out to her. She really likes that podcast. I see her always like putting stuff out about it. She really liked the show. So I I wouldn't be opposed to watching. It's just we watch a lot of wrestling. Right. <laughs> uh, he also asked, "What is your opinion? What, in your opinions, is the best New Japan event near consistently?" Dominion, New Beginning, G1 Comics Finals, Best Super Junior Finals. It's, it's always Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean. Did he not list Wrestle Kingdom? He did not. Okay, maybe maybe he's like asking. Of unless those, I missed part of his question, but that's what I copied over. Unless he's like asking of those options. But I mean, consistently, it's always Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, from top to bottom, yeah, Wrestle Kingdom is usually... Um, one of the best shows of the year. I know there have been years uh, where Dominion ends up being the best show of the year. Uh, here we go. Yeah, but, I, I didn't miss part of this. He said, he said, don't get me wrong, I do love Russell Kingdom, but I also fast forward through the opening matches. Well, that's that's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's say, he, let's say it's not Russell Kingdom. What were the options he provided? Uh, he's provided Dominion, New Beginning, G1 Climax Finals, and Best Super Junior Finals. I don't really like. I I, I mean the the G1 Climax Finals and the Best Super Junior Finals are good. Um, I'm not usually as high on them as other people because when I look at the consistency of a card, I look at it as a whole, and oftentimes those shows tend to be a final tournament, maybe a title match or two, and then a bunch of random. Like uh, tag matches that build to future matches on other cards, you know, Um, they're not really like the culmination of any like blow offs or feuds or anything. Whereas Dominion is always virtually similar to like Jingu Stadium show that we're getting now, where it's usually all big programs, big matches, big fight field, big arena. Like I like Dominion the best out of all that shit that he listed. Yeah, out of all those options, yeah, Dominion. It's the most consistent. Now, like you mentioned, yeah, G1 finals and the Super Junior finals. Yeah, the, the final matches are usually all, you know, pretty awesome. But the rest of the card, that's the card that has all the, you know, multi-man matches. Wrestle Kingdom card, uh, I mean, all the matches on Wrestle Kingdom are, you know, pretty great. Openers, you know, usually you're getting Young Bucks against, you know, Red Dragon and, you know, Rapungi Vice. Or you're getting some kind of crazy opener. 
So I don't not, know. You're not getting that anymore because three of those guys are in AEW and two of those guys are in NXT. Well, so. well not now, but like in the, in, <laughs> in the past, like the openers of Wrestle Kingdom have been like those fast junior matches. And even, you know, last couple of years, like we've been getting good openers. So, yeah, man, I mean, this company does a really good job building their best show and everyone performs like it's their best show because that's what it is. They make the most money. Most people watch it. It's the biggest arena. It's the most important show of the year, and it's always consistently good. Even if hypothetically a Dominion outdid it that year, it's not always. It's not like really usually by much. Honestly, it's it's consistently the best show of the year. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for the questions. Last thing here, we've got to do really quickly. Recommended match of the week. So before we get into that, one thing I wanted to correct. So last week I had mentioned the uh, Sano Liger series and, you know, they had three matches in 1989 that are heralded as being pretty groundbreaking. And then obviously their, um, you know, ultimate match in 1990 in January, which is like the, uh, was the match of the year that year across the board. Um, I had said that I liked the July match the best. I was mistaken about the dates. That's not the match I like the best. The match I like the best is the August match. So post-show, me and Jeremy went over this stuff, and I specified that the August match was specifically the match that I liked the best. And I believe, Jeremy, I believe you actually went ahead and watched the whole series? So I went. Ahead, I watched the July match and the August match. I didn't uh, finish the series yet. Okay, that's fine. One other thing before we get into this. So part of the reason that we I recommended this match was because it was 1989, which happens to be the year of your birth. And um, coming up very shortly, I got Jeremy something for his birthday along with this recommended match. Uh, it is tracking. It is on its way. It's coming from Malaysia, so you know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here in a few weeks on the show – once Jeremy reveals this, he'll be able to tell you guys what uh, I got him. But I'll just say uh, it pretty much blows any other gift that he definitely got this uh, <laughs> holiday season away. It, it's by far the best gift ever. Stupendous. Tremendous. <laughs> just incredible. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing about the August match, the actual date of the August match was my exact birthday, August 18th, 1989. So that Oh, would've... my God. <laughs> it works out perfectly. <laughs> Bro, this match happened on your birthday? Yeah, the, the day I was born. This Holy match happened. Sh- <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, so, yeah, so I did go ahead and watch the July match that you mentioned last week, and then I mentioned the August match, like you mentioned. We talked afterwards. Uh, One thing I will say before you get into it, most people like the July and the September matches the best. Those are the – and for whatever reason, I don't know why. Those tend to be – the more popular, more viewed matches. When you go online, they're just rated higher. I don't know if it's like because I think honestly, I think it's because back then it was tape trading, and I just think that those matches were more widely available. But I think the August match is the best match they had prior to their, you know, blood feud match in in 1990. But uh, I just want to before you go before you shared your opinions i wanted to share like what the prevailing thought out there is like when you go on classic message boards death valley driver video review pro wrestling only what have you most people like the first and the third match of the trilogy more than the second match gotcha um so yeah so the july match uh made a couple notes here so one thing i noticed about this match 
So at least from from the I think for the most of the match, I, I didn't feel like it was it was fast paced, but it wasn't quite the modern uh, junior style that we're used to right now. Um, very hard hitting, a lot of strikes. I mean, there definitely was like high flying spots. I mean, we had a suplex to the floor. Um, while you're doing the swanton, um, you know, tope to the floor. Uh, Sano does these like wild planches, um, wild style planches he does. And so, yeah, overall, very fast paced match. Actually, I felt like it was more of like a a modern, like heavyweight style match with some like high spots uh, sprinkled in. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the one thing I was confused about, so they do like a super backdrop, and then the match just like ends. Like what what happened here? Double KO. Okay, that's what I, that's what I was assuming, but like I like it happened. I was like, okay, what <laughs> what had just happened here? That that uh, giant backdrop off the top rope is pretty incredible, though, huh? Yeah, that was awesome. Very similar to what uh, Pac was doing when he was the king of the cruiserweights. Mm, yeah, that big yeah vertical suplex he was doing. Well, he did a vertical suplex, but he was also finishing guys with a backdrop suplex off the top rope. Like he beat he beat Rich Swan with that. Yeah, on two hundred five. So uh, then moving on to the August match, uh, again, kind of similar, you know, pacing here where it's not quite like the modern junior, junior style; it's more like a heavyweight style. But I would say, like in this match, like Sano was just like beating the crap out of Liger. Sano beats the shit out of Liger in this match. Yeah, the, the, the whole like first half of the match is just like Sano beating the crap out of Liger. Then Liger finally comes back with like crazy like superplex DDT thing on the apron. I wasn't quite sure what they were going for, but yeah, and it's it's pretty jarring to see apron spots in 1989. Yeah, um, Liger hits like a big pile driver for a near fall. Then eventually Sano comes back. Is that that wild, crazy plunge that he does? Um, he's working over the arm a lot in this match. He keep, goes for several arm bars. Uh, crowds like losing their mind when anytime he gets an arm bar attempt. Uh, yeah, and and part of that too, it's really important to uh, for context. So they had the double KO, and then they had the, these two guys were feuding not just in singles matches, but many. Uh, tag matches prior to this and there had been like and i don't I, I haven't seen it myself but the story was that there was an attack where liger's arm was compromised like his shoulder and his arm like in a post-match attack or something of that nature and he was injured and wasn't they weren't sure if he was even going to be able to compete necessarily so he shows up in this match with like this weird football pad gimmick on um to like and i i think the idea was to protect <laughs> his arm and his shoulder. So I think that's part of the reason why people are really like tripping out is every time the arm is attacked or every time there's an arm bar, like they know what kind of like pain or danger he was in because of the previous attack. Gotcha. That makes a a ton more sense now, even though I don't know why he'd think a football pad would save his actual arm because of sauna was like attacking the arm and like the wrist. Um, But yeah, got to have that arm work there. And then eventually Sano hits the super backdrop, but this time he actually gets the win from it and uh, wins the match here, wins the title. I yeah, I love this match. Um, I think the heat segment is too much for some people, but like for me, if if the heat segment like draws heat and people are into it, and from what I, I it's been a long time since I seen this match, but when I watched it, I just remember the crowd literally freaking out for everything, you know. Um. 
it resonated with me at the time. It's been a while since I watched this match, but I mean, uh, what were your final thoughts and you know, what would you go match rating wise? So overall, I really enjoyed both of these matches. Um, I do think I like the August match better than the July match. And I think part of that too, is just having actually having a finish, um, like a, mm. a definitive finish here. Um, I would say the first one that I think had a better kind of back and forth flow that people are probably more used to, but the August match, right. it was more of like, all right, Sano's in control, now Liger's in control, Sano's back in control, Liger's back in control, Sano hits a big move and wins kind of uh, formula. But, but even with that formula, I still ended up liking overall, like the August match uh, better. Uh, as far as, I don't know, I'm really bad like rating like older matches. Um, I think I'd probably maybe go like four on the July match. Um, and maybe like four and a half on the the August match. That's pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say ultimately the September match. I think the pre- the most prevalent viewpoint on it is that it's really great, and I think most people like that the most out of these three. But it to me, it's almost like the greatest hits. Like you see, sort of an amalgamation of these two matches combined, but the heat isn't as hot. (laughs) So when they do the heat segments, it's not as good. And then um, it's not quite as fast paced as the first match. So it's kind of like they try to do both matches into one, but it just, for me, doesn't pay off. But I'm telling you guys, if anyone has never watched their 1990 match, it's the best match of new Japan in 1990. In fact, it's the best match of 1990 anywhere in the world it's one of it's got to be a top five liger match and that's really saying something so if you guys haven't seen that match i'm telling you you need to go watch it it's one of the greatest all right so now it's uh my pick for the recommended match of the week and so this week i have chosen the stone pitbull tomohiro ishii Versus Mr. R.O.H. Roderick Strong for the R.O.H. Television <laughs> Championship at Honor Rising 2016, Night 1. Yeah, I think this is a good pick. Um, mainly because I think part of the purpose of this recommended match of the week isn't just to recommend bangers that everybody knows about. But sometimes it's to find those deep cuts. And I mean, this one's fairly recent in terms of the overall span of New Japan. But uh, I mean, it's on one of those R.O.H. shows on a rising. So I don't know how many people actually saw it. And I, I never hear people talk about it. I don't even remember how much I liked this particular match. I remember liking the series, but I don't know if I liked the match that they had in ROH or the one in Japan better. Um, so I am looking forward to seeing this. I mean, what, anything you want to tell me before we go about that? Uh, overall, I thought it was a great matchup. Uh, yeah, kind of, I reason I picked. It. I think it was kind of a hidden gem there. Like you mentioned, yeah, the honor rising shows usually kind of get skipped over. People usually don't watch all of them. We're gonna talk about them, but you know, uh, Roddy and Tomohiro Ishii, two of my favorite wrestlers. I really love Roderick Strong. Like Roddy is like one of my very top favorite wrestlers, and uh, I knew they, they had a feud. I think I saw like the Ring of Honor matches more than I saw this this honor rising the honor rising stuff and stuff they did in Japan. I'm pretty sure- you don't have to spoil it for me, but if I, if my memory serves me correctly, I'm pretty sure this is the one where Ishii wins the television title. Yes, that's a, that's a, 
It's kind of and, and and it's funny because it's not on television, so it's <laughs> kind of bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, great match. It's Roddy, Tomohiro Ishii. It's the Smart Mark Cork and Hall crowd that are chanting, chanting, "This is awesome." They're chanting ROH. They're they're, <laughs> they're chanting, "Let's go, Roddy!" Instead of chanting for Tomohiro Ishii, so that that's fun. And they're really into the match. And two great workers kind of kicking off this feud here. Big title change in the you know, main event, Cork and Hall. So yeah, really fun match up here. Awesome. I can't wait. I will definitely watch that this week and then um, come back to you guys with my thoughts next week and uh, another tremendous recommended match of the week. Yep. And that's going to wrap things up for this week of keeping it strong style. Next week, we'll be back to uh, review Summer Struggle in Jingu. Are we going to have a special guest? I think we're going to have a special guest, right? Maybe. We might, possibly? We, yeah, we might have one. Uh, so, yes. On yeah, working on that. So, yes, stay tuned. Uh, Either we'll have a special guest or not, but we'll definitely be back next week and reviewing everything that goes down at Summer Struggle in Jingu. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash social suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we're at social suplex. You can e- email me, Jeremy, at social suplex.com. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, Josh is keeping it strong style. You can join our Discord server. The link for that is in the show notes for this show. You can check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. On Fridays, we have 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy. And Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. You don't get your all-out pay-per-view unless you send your before and after photos. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.